Happy birthday, Mr. Adult Man. Oh, Mom. Ugh, gross. What was Dad like? His beard was scratchy. He had a goofy laugh. I wish I'd met him. I have something for you from your dad. It's a wizard staff. I wrote this spell so I could see for myself who my boys grew up to be. This spell brings him back. Back like back to life? She wanted to meet you more than anything. Bowie, Tooth of Zadar! How did you... I don't know! It just started! Hang on! Dad? Just don't stop, Bart! Dad, you are in your house! Oh, oh boy! Oh. We've only got 24 hours to bring back the rest of Dad. We're going on a quest. All quests start with the Manticore, the fearless adventurer. You mean Cory? She's over there. Quick, somebody help me. These Griffin Nuggets were supposed to go out minutes ago. That's the Manticore? are in trouble big time. Get in the vehicle. I'm escorting you home. I'm giving you to the count of three. Uh, okay. Wait, what are you doing? I don't know. Ah, I'm looking for my sons. Oh, they went on a quest. But don't worry. I told them about the map. I told them about the gym. I told them about the curse. <sighs> I forgot to tell them about the curse. The what? <laughs> Your boys are in grave danger. A crisis? Oh no! We're dead, we're dead, we're dead! Not great! I can't do it! We're not gonna see you, Dad! You can do this. I believe in you. My gut knows where to go, don't you, boy? Yes, you do! <laughs> I am on my way, boys. Just stay out of trouble. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of... IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast... All the galaxies, all for you. How's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC. And we are broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com, but also coming to you through the power of iTunes and Google Play. And we have another terrific episode for you guys tonight we're going to be talking about something uh that we haven't talked about in quite a while something new something a new movie which is something that yeah uh, so we haven't talked about this movie in a while because it came out like two months ago Exactly, <laughs> and you know, new movies are sh- in short supply these days because you know we're we're kind of in a worldwide pandemic. The world is ending. All of this kind of stuff. No, not actually, but uh, you know, it is it is pretty serious, and all the theaters are closed. You can't really go out to the theaters anymore and see it, which I very much miss. But 
there is this thing called streaming services, specifically Disney Plus, and they have been feeding us with some good content. And we'll talk about something else in a minute that uh, they fed us today. But uh, tonight, our main focus will be the Disney Pixar movie Upward. Upward? No, Onward. Upward. <laughs> upward and onward. The long-awaited sequel to Up, Carl Fredrickson's funeral, and Russell dealing with it with Doug. Oh, man, that got dark quick. That got dark quick. No, thank you. Is he moving upward or is he moving downward? That's part of the movie. Oh, no. It's like getting off to a great start here, guys. But to set the record straight, Onward is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Chris Pratt, Tom Holland. It was great. I enjoyed it, and I can't wait to discuss it all before we get into it. Of course, the other voices you're hearing um, in addition to mine, which is I, my name is Ben, in case you didn't know. You don't care about that. Also joining me is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, what's going on with you? So here's the really crazy thing for all you people listening at home. This is not actually Zach. This is Ben. I'm just a fantastic ventriloquist. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Now the episode becomes even more meta because every time you hear Ben's voice and then you hear Zach's voice, you're automatically going to be thinking, it's just Ben talking to himself. Woohoo! First-time listeners are, like, really confused right now, and I feel so sorry for them. Especially that <laughs> other episode where I introduced myself as Zach Arnold because, like, what the hell? <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're, just, we're just all over the place tonight. And uh, another person that I think their name is... Is Jake Damon, and he's back with us tonight. How's it going, man? Things are about to get a lot more confusing because if you're listening to our conversation earlier, you'll understand what this means. But I'm not Jake Damon. Oh, I for am, God's sake! I am Jake from an alternate universe, and uh, I'm actually filling in for for real Jake right now. And you guys are just gonna have to be okay with that. Apparently so. Apparently, I have no control over this show. It's just gone off the rails. We need it's- DJ Crazy Train. It's uh, wibbly wobbly in here. Yeah, it is. Alternate universes, uh, uh, insane impressionists. Yeah, it's 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 all over the place. But uh, yeah. So I mentioned it a little minute a minute ago, and uh, we're talking about it tonight. Uh, something happened on Disney Plus today, as of just a few hours ago. Um, of course, we've been every so often we've been doing our. Uh, monthly breakdowns, I think, of the newest season of Star Wars The Clone Wars. We just talked about the Ahsoka walkabout arc, and today we had a new episode, the first episode of the Siege of Mandalore arc, which was the, uh, which will be the, the final chapter of the Clone Wars saga, and uh, holy crap! <laughs> what did we just watch? Jake, you just watched it. I want to get your take. Now, I should I should preface this by saying that yes, we will be talking about the full arc when it's released, maybe even earlier in the week than normal, maybe, maybe, maybe. But uh, we're we we've got to talk about this. This is just like insanity what we just watched. So Jake, take it away. Your first impressions of old friends not forgotten. Yes. Well, I kept seeing. People online, Facebook, Twitter, what have you, just raving about this episode. Just like tens out of tens and left and right. I haven't seen a bad thing about this episode. So I'm like, you know what? Fine. I'll watch it. So literally 
like half an hour before we started uh, the podcast tonight, I finished this episode. And I'm so glad because it did not disappoint on any level. I was blown away. It was I I think it was it was just so visually uh and uh I, I can't even put it into words like i i can't I, i'm having a hard time even coming up with the words to describe how fantastic of a viewing experience it was it brought back so many memories it made me nostalgic for revenge of the sith it was beautifully shot and it, it looked like a feature film at, at so many different points and it was just everything that I could have wanted in a Clone Wars episode. And they just really knocked it out of the park, setting up this, you know, as an intro to this this final arc that we're going to get. And uh, seeing things like the, the Siege of Mandalore and um, just seeing Ahsoka with, with Anakin again uh, for some scenes. And... Um, people new and old references to things that we know uh it's just all it was all excellent and i i really can't wait to see where this uh goes i mean we know ultimately where it heads uh because you know we're heading right into an event that takes place right at the beginning of revenge of the sith and that's really exciting uh, it's it's a little sad knowing that this is kind of all coming to an end but it's it's kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag of feelings, you know, it's kind of bittersweet because yes, it's sad in that sense, but it's also happy because we get to, to relive kind of what, you know, this group of, of people that we grew to love in the clone wars from when we were a kid, you know, I mean, yeah. Ahsoka and Anakin and Obi-Wan, they were, they were the, the three, you know, and we're back with them again and you got Rex in there and Cody and it just feels like we're bringing everybody back for for one last hurrah so i i loved it yeah and like you i you know i didn't watch the episode until kind of late in the day didn't get a chance to and i kept seeing like posts online about oh my god this is so great and and i was like you i'm like there's no way <laughs> it can be as good as people are saying it is and uh boy was i wrong <laughs> it was <laughs> even better than i expected but uh zach i know you had some pretty high praise, too, of the episode. I think you're in a similar camp, but uh, tell the people what you thought of Old Friends Not Forgotten. Yeah, I'm kind of right in that same boat that you guys were. I didn't get to see it till later in the day. I didn't get a an opportunity to sit down in front of it until after work was done. <laughs> and I, up until that point, I was scrolling Facebook while I was working and seeing just about everybody that is connected to me via Star Wars ranting and raving about it people that have been on opposite ends of the star wars spectrum before everybody was in agreement about this particular episode and when i saw that that kind of uniformity across the line i was like okay i'm really tempted to pull up the disney plus app on my phone and watch it while i'm driving but i need to give this thing my undivided attention and so i waited till i got home got in front of my 4k tv and let me tell you guys, that half an hour felt like an hour and a half. It was yeah, cinematic. Yeah. It was cinematic quality. It had great production, great lines, great action, great characters, character development, 
like uh, this is what I put on my Facebook page. It's got battles, banter, nostalgia, direct connection to the movies, character development, music. It's all a perfect 10 out of 10. I could not have pictured a better episode. Like I have raved about the episode rookies from season one, the entirety of this podcast, as long as this podcast has been around rookies has been my very favorite clone wars episode no matter what guess what gentlemen today it got dethroned wow wow that's that's high praise ladies and gentlemen you have no idea and if you've listened to the show long enough and heard him talk about how much he loves rookies for so many years like that's a bombshell it's it's huge dude and that is just how huge this episode is Everything that I wanted in a Clone Wars episode, everything that I ever hoped for, it was like Filoni just like looked around in my mind and then put it to screen. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I, I'm with you, Ben. Like, and I'm tr- I'm trying not to to steal your thunder, but I am in complete agreement with what some people are telling you. You should make a petition out of and see if yes! Lucas actually do it. I'm considering something because there's enough people out there going. You need to you need to do something with this. I'm like, okay. And I I uh, posted it on Twitter and it's getting a lot of feedback. So I'm like, how do I get this in front of the right people? And what you're referencing is I put out this tweet. Now right, let me. Let me read it verbatim, because if I try to explain it, then I'll just butcher it. Um, <laughs> but uh, here's here's my 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 proposition to Lucasfilm, to the powers that be, of this what this should be, what should happen once this is all said and done. So my tweet as follows says, When this is all over, the Siege of Mandalore needs to be edited into one movie. And when December comes, assuming the virus is behind us, Put it in theaters as this year's Star Wars film. Thus, the Clone Wars series will be bookended by two feature films. Do it. Please and thank you. Lucas. Yes. Lucas. I would love yes, that. Yes, sir. Yes, and, sir. And I, and I almost didn't even put part of that in. I'm like, no, no. Go all the way with this. Like, don't just like – because I'm thinking like, oh, it could just be on Disney+. Plus. No, no, no. Put it in theaters. This looks no. better. This episode looks better than most animated films. I'm yeah. sorry, it just does. It is on They're, par. Oh, yeah. It's on par, or perhaps even more impressive than what we're going to talk about tonight. Onward, like, They're, and I'm I'm not throwing shade at Pixar. I love Pixar. Onward, it's great. It looks magnificent, but Clone Wars is nailing the the visuals here and it and I, everything else. Yeah, there's so much in here that just looks great. There's one shot in particular where uh, one of the gunships is like leaving the atmosphere and it's just coming straight for the screen and you, there's like a glint of light off of it and then it like turns around like you the camera switches as it goes by and my jaw just like dropped. I was just like that was gorgeous. Like I, I want that as a, you know, just that gif, you know, just playing over and over. It was so good. And I mean, like the whole episode starts, and the most you know surprising thing about it is the fact that it starts with the main title, Star Wars main title, and yeah. goes into this whole thing, and you get like the old school Lucasfilm green logo, and then uh-huh. it goes into like its own like opening crawl thing. It's crazy, and it's so cinematic, cinematic, and it feels just even more cinematic than the Clone Wars movie. And I'm like, yeah. this is what needs to be in theaters. This is what people need. And just yeah. like, yep. And, and, and like, just for the simple fact of this is a, I, I'm thinking of it as a reprieve from the hell that we're going through right now. 
This is a very <laughs> trying time for humanity. I'm not talking about people in America or wherever. Humanity. Humans are stressed out right now. We need a light at the end of the tunnel. We need, especially yeah. Star Wars fans, we don't have much going on. We went through some very tumultuous times in fandom. Give us this. Give us this light at the end of the tunnel of, you know, having a Star Wars film again in the year and, and having something that's so brilliant and so just jaw-droppingly gorgeous and well-made as this first episode. I mean, this first episode alone is, is, is worthy of being in theaters, but, like, you can imagine what the rest of the episodes are going to be like, like, in just a couple weeks. Well, okay, so here's here's the deal. If we're if we're looking at it from from a content perspective, there was the opening title and of course a couple of minutes of credits, but this is the longest new episode that we've gotten, clocking in at a total time of almost thirty minutes. Yeah. If if we take out the the, the credits and we you know are accounting for the fact that there won't be opening titles in the in the ensuing episodes, average it out to about twenty seven minutes an episode times the four episodes, that's hundred and eight minutes. Yeah. It's it's just over an hour and a half. And I think that is actually a really sweet spot for an animated film, especially one as gripping and compelling as this one is. Like, don't get me wrong. Once all four episodes are released, I'm watching them back to back to back to back. But if I had the opportunity to go to my local AMC and watch all of them strung together the way, like you said, with the original Clone Wars movie being one giant episodic, episodic arc, you know, uh, put together mm. to turn this arc into into a series of episodes all put together. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And like, the, the original Clone Wars movie is only an hour and thirty eight minutes, and right. it was designed and was taken from four separate episodes that were mm. made as episodes, and then late in the game they're like, "Oh, this is really good. We need to make this into a movie," and they just strung them all together and made a movie out of it. Like, this is actually designed as four episodes that lead one to the other into the other, and you put them together, it's going to be magnificent. Yep. I just, I I can't imagine, like, you could probably, like, imagine if they did, like, another episode. Uh, I mean, I I don't know what else they'd put in this, but, like, make it it enough to have a movie and, and compare the Clone Wars movie that came out with what this could be, and I think this one would just win out every time. Yeah, and it's just the simple fact that this episode alone felt like a movie. Zach, you said it felt like an hour and a half. It felt like two hours to me. Like it, it felt yeah. like it felt like a cinematic quality. And it was like, such like like for me like it got to the moment when Anakin leaves. Spoiler alert. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is the end of the episode. Like this is it. This is like we've had so we've come so far. Like this is it. No, 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 no. The episode was just getting started. Now they're going into the invasion of Mandalore. Like, right. what I, is even I, happening? I was expecting them to make the, the landing at Mandalore to be kind of like a landing at Point Rain kind of experience where, like, right. that's that's dropping you right into the action, like, right here, right now. But no, we're going to put that into this episode, Biatch, because you didn't get enough action <laughs> in that episode at the beginning. It's sandwiched by action, and, and right in the middle is just phenomenal character development. You know, even if we saw some of these clips online, watching the entire sequence of of Anakin's reaction to seeing Ahsoka on the hologram and his attempt to try and catch up with her, her uh, focus on on business and and just taking care of business, 
And, you know, you can see like the humanity still in him trying to find and reach out to her. Like she's right there. There are so many moments. And here's the thing that I don't get. And it still baffles me to this, like, like to this moment. I've been wrestling with this for the last couple of hours. How in the hell do animators create characters in such a way that it literally looks like one animated character is dying to hug another but can't? <laughs> it's true. Like, like the... Anakin's posture, his facial features, the way he leans towards her, the, 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 the way that he's drawn to her, not in any kind of weird, perverted way, but just the fact that he missed her. Mm-hmm. And he just wants to, like, reconnect with her, wants to be with her. And, you know, obviously she's grown up, she's matured, but, like, I really, really wanted the two of them to hug. Like, I know that that's kind of a, a weird, sappy thing to say, but after all that we've been through with these two characters since 2008, I think, I think we were, like, long overdue for a hug, but alas, it was not to come. It's funny yeah. how this episode preludes, you know, Revenge of the Sith. Like, it literally leads up. We're, we're assuming that the whole Siege on Mandalore is happening at the same time as... Anakin and Obi-Wan are going in to rescue well, the Chancellor. Yeah, because Obi-Wan says the fleet can be there within the hour. Like, they're not that far away from Coruscant, wherever they are. No. But, but I mean, yeah, literally, like, as soon as Ahsoka takes her forces off, like, they're immediately heading for Coruscant. Like, like I, I can't even imagine what the, the Battle of Coruscant would look like in Clone Wars fashion, and I hope, I hope that they do don't try to to give us like some perspective on that battle that's other than what we see in Revenge of the Sith. But at the same time, I would not complain if they attempted that <laughs> next episode, just because my curiosity is so piqued on what the other aspects of the battle looked like while Obi Wan and Anakin were were, were boarding Grievous's ship. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and just the overall like I I love you're talking about like how Anakin is acting like. We're preluding the the darkest moment in Anakin's life. Like we're we're right on the cusp yeah. of him becoming Darth yep. Vader, and we've never seen him happier. Like he is so happy to see Ahsoka. Like he's so caught yeah. off guard by it. But it's like it's almost adorable. How like how like just like you said, he wants to hug her, oh. and he's like, "Oh my God, you're here! Like this is great." And he had such swagger at that battle. Oh man! Like this is peak. Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, it is. Like, like he he is enjoying himself. He's not fatigued by the war. He is enjoying himself. Like he is living in the moment, and that moment is giving him strategic battle success. It's given him a chance to reconnect with his Padawan. It has brought him back to Coruscant. Like, do you remember Hayden Christensen's smirk at the beginning of that? Revenge of the Sith fight sequence. He's in his Jedi Starfighter and he says, This is where the fun begins. Like that smile is like it's it's almost like that smile from two thousand five is being carried over from the swagger that he's got in this episode in two thousand twenty. It absolutely just fits right in. Like because mm -hmm. you're expecting Anakin to be dark, but like at the beginning of Revenge of the Sith, he's not dark. He's no, not he's... gone to the dark side. He's no. very much like this happy-go-lucky guy and slowly transitions to that. Fun yep. fact, 
when I first went to see Revenge of the Sith, I was like, oh, this is the episode where Anakin becomes Darth Vader. I was half expecting him to become Darth Vader like in the first 30 minutes of the film. <laughs> and as it wasn't happening, I was like, well, this is a ripoff. I think a lot of people were. <laughs> and so, like, I, yeah, I was in that same boat where I was expecting it to be like Darth Vader, Darth Vader, Darth Vader. But then, like, that slow burn was kind of what led to that huge payoff was, yeah, things are going really, really well for him right now, but he's still haunted by his past. Yeah. And and that haunting, combined with the fact that he's seeing his wife for the first time in God knows how long, leads to this huge, huge spiral. And I can't help but wonder if he ends up getting news about what happened at Mandalore and he feels like he's lost Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why he feels like he can't lose Padme. Like, yeah. I've lost I've lost my Padawan twice. I can't lose my wife. Yeah, and you know, even even this moment, even though it's a happy moment, it's still like him saying goodbye to her. And you know, that could make him a little emotionally volatile and and worrying yeah. about her being off on this mission and all this stuff and you know, what could happen and we're we're assuming that we're going to kind of see some you know, different things pop up and maybe some references to what's going on in Revenge of the Sith as this arc progresses on. And uh man, I I just can't wait. Like this this whole episode just ca- totally caught me off guard. I was expecting just oh yeah, it's a setup episode. We're going to get some good action, but uh you know, the the good stuff won't happen till later in the in the arc. No, 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 no. <laughs> this arc packs so much and now I'm wondering like what's going to happen in the other episode because like we've come so far in such a short amount of time. So we've, uh, we've come so far and they left us on a goddamn cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> that like I love I mean and that's the whole brilliance about this episode it's like they're, the whole episode is about Maul and guess what he shows up at the end you know they know how to you know talk about someone and then bring him in at the end and all the references my gosh like they mentioned Saw Gerrera they mentioned Fulcrum they you know the whole Anakin out on the bridge is like straight up Luke on Crate in Last Jedi like so many things in this episode that I was not expecting. And you know, it's just, it's just, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I'm, I'm watching it right now. Literally I'm watching it because I only watched <laughs> it once and I, I, I really want to watch it again. So here I am multitasking. I'm, I'm probably going to try and show my family tomorrow. They're coming over for a uh, Jackbox night, but I'm going to take a half hour and show them this episode. <laughs> That's brilliant. 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 That this is a good episode. I feel like this is a good episode to, to like introduce someone to because yeah, I've never seen this show because it's so it's so cinematic. It looks so cool, but also it's got those connections to the films that's just gonna make it pop. Yeah, my sister says she hasn't seen anything of the new season, and I'm like, okay, skip over those other eight episodes. This is the one that matters most. <laughs> this first, this first. If you don't watch anything else, watch this now. Mm-hmm, um, pretty much. So uh, before we move on, really, really quickly, I want to get you guys' thoughts on this. Uh, Steven in the chat says, my prediction is that next week the opening title will be more like the Clone Wars micro-series. What do you guys say to that? Mm, that'd be I would, I would love that. And I'm, I'm, I'm a longtime fan of the micro-series. You know, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the Clone Wars is superior. But, you know, that, that series holds a special place in my heart. And 
it's obviously like it was a huge influence on this show going back. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you look at all the des- the design choices that they made early on in season one, in the Clone Wars movie, like were directly based on that series. So like it was clear that like George Lucas himself like liked that series and liked what they were doing. So yeah. you know, it's uh I-, I love that, you know, I that would be amazing if they had a little homage to the original Clone Wars because that's really really all began. Well and mm-hmm. a lot a lot doesn't isn't there Am I thinking of something else? But isn't there a, a couple of episodes of the micro series that actually depict the ground assault on the Battle of Coruscant? There is a good portion of season two, or maybe it's season three. I can't. I can't get them straight. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's there's only two volumes, aren't there? Probably. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's two volumes, and there's like a good portion of the second volume where it's all Battle of Coruscant, and there's some intercutting. If you watch like. YouTube versions of it, they like edit them together better, but there's intercutting between Anakin kind of going on his trial out in the wasteland planet, yeah. and then Yoda and Mace and all things, and then they reference that. They're, they're, they actually, uh, just realized, they actually reference the micro-series in this episode because Obi-Wan says, oh yeah, Mace has Shakti protecting the Chancellor. Mm. That's exactly what happens in the micro series. Bam. Yep. Yep. All uh, right, my mind's blown again. Well, I'm, I mean, what if they do do that with the intro? Well, I mean, they could do that and then go right into depicting the ground assault because that is one thing that we don't see in Revenge of the Sith. <sighs> and that I would love that. Yes. And you could you could have a General Grievous being a badass moment as he storms the Senate and captures the Chancellor on the on the grounds. Because... Stephen says, says it also happens in the book Labyrinth of Evil, but the details are different. I remember reading Labyrinth of Evil. That is a kick ass book. Yeah, yeah, I gotta read that one. I and you notice in this in this episode they don't say that the Chancellor's been kidnapped. They just say that. Well, you know the 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 city is under attack, and that they're trying to protect the chancellor. Maybe the next newsreel will kind of confirm, and we'll see some of that in the newsreel at least. That Grievous is, has swept in and, and captured the chancellor, and is trying to make his escape. And two Jedi knights come in to save the day. That I'm just I'm this episode has thro- totally thrown me off. So I don't know what to expect <laughs> on the next one. So here I found the Clone Wars micro series uh, synopses on Wikipedia, and it starts in chapter 23 out of the 25. It says Coruscant is attacked by separatist forces. Mace Windu takes off to the air while Yoda rides his kaibuck to defend the city. Meanwhile, Sacy Teen leads his troops into battle just above the planet's atmosphere. And on Nelvon, Obi-Wan volunteers Anakin to take the trial of fire. Chapter 24 reads, Shakti, Roron Karab, and Foul Maduma fight to keep Supreme Chancellor Palpatine out of General Grievous's mechanical claws. Anakin finds a, a hidden laboratory where the Techno Union is conducting mutation experience, uh, experiments on Nelvon warriors. And then chapter 25, Shakti takes a desperate stand against Grievous's Magna Guards. Anakin, surrounded by mutated Nelvon warriors, must destroy the geothermal crystal powering the siphon generator, Mace Windu hurries to find General Grievous, who abducts Palpatine. When Anakin and Obi-Wan learn of this, they set out on a dangerous mission, leading to the opening of Revenge of the Sith. Mm. So they don't, yeah. they don't, in the in micro-series, they don't 
send for Obi-Wan and Anakin until after the Chancellor's been kidnapped. That's interesting. Whereas in this version, which actually makes more sense... It they, does. They, they send for them immediately as the, as the Coruscant is being attacked. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's almost like... It's almost like being recalled. Like, yeah, I know you're out there on a mission, but guess what? The home front's being attacked right now, so you need to... You need to haul butt over here now, buddy. Right. So it'll be interesting. I guess we're we're led to believe that Grievous capturing the Chancellor happens pretty quick. Like they attack Coruscant, he goes down there, he gets him, and by the time Anakin and Obi-Wan get there, he's already in space. And they're and Grievous is trying to make a getaway. Yeah. No I no mean, This is so cool. This is so cool, man. I love that we're talking about this. Yeah, I mean what's what, here's the here's the thing. Revenge of the Sith has always been like one of the more brilliant Star Wars films to me, but also obviously one of the more depressing ones. Yeah, yeah. Wrong. that I, that's that's I think that's a fair assumption or assessment. But given the events of this episode, I kind of want to see how Revenge of the Sith plays out when you watch just this episode immediately followed by Revenge of the Sith. Like, you see Ahsoka go off and and make her assault on Mandalore, but that is one side of the 501st. You take the other side of the 501st, and you take the 212th back to Coruscant, and you follow Anakin and Obi-Wan and see what happens over there. Yeah. I think that's basically how it functions. I'm curious how the rest of the episodes will deal with this and how they will intersect with the story, because we're kind of like... No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I was, I was commenting on your comments. <laughs> <laughs> we comment on comments on comments on comments. Um, but uh, I mean, I think I'm just curious, you know, where this is going to go. And obviously, this episode is kind of set up as like you have them coming together, but them again splitting up, and we're following Ahsoka. And we we know what Anakin and Obi Wan are doing. Like, you know, there's no mystery there as to where they went. Um, I did like the whole thing about, you know, them having to deal with this and ha- maybe having a choice to make in regards to, like, you've got this one thing. And just the fact that, what, 15 years ago, we didn't realize that, oh, yeah, by the way, Darth Maul's alive. <laughs> and Anakin's apprentice, Ahsoka Tano, is off on Mandalore trying to capture him at the same time this is happening. It's just crazy to me, and it's going to be crazy watching Revenge of the Sith now, knowing that Anakin l- literally talked to Ahsoka hours before. Yeah, that's, I mean, and knowing that she's there and that she's doing her own thing throughout all this, it's just, it's just, this is insane. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. it's just insane. I- I'm having trouble processing it, as you can tell. Oh, man, we could probably talk about this episode all night, but as you said... We're going to be giving full commentary on the entire arc as soon as it is over. And it was recently announced that the finale is actually going to be released a few days early on Star Wars Day, May the 4th. How perfect is that? So good. And we're also getting a behind-the-scenes documentary for The Mandalorian. So it's going to be a big Star Wars Day this year. I cannot wait. And if you can't wait the same way we can't wait then uh, who knows? Maybe we'll do like a immediate rapid reactions kind of episode, uh, depending on what our availability is that week. Uh, we'll, we'll try and find a way to get 
those thoughts to you sooner rather than later. And obviously our friends over at the Underworld and Clone Wars Strikes Back and several other Star Wars podcasts. If you're subscribed to any of them, uh, Bad Motivators, uh, Twin Sons, uh, our friends over at Starpiece are probably going to put something out there. Like mm-hmm. there, There's going to be a ton of podcasts out there that are going to be looking at talking about this. But if you want to hear our thoughts, we're going to try and get them to you as soon as we possibly can. That's gonna be ho ho ho. That's gonna be a lot of fun, and I'm not emotionally prepared for that episode or the the next episodes because holy crap. And I've read some synopsis, and no, it's not good. It's It's also great, but it's not good. Well, the interesting thing is now that we've seen Rebels, we know Ahsoka's fate, but we don't know how she gets there. We don't know how she gets to that point or what events transpire that lead her to becoming fulcrum on a more full-time basis like we get some hints at it in this episode but we still got three more episodes to try and figure out what all exactly happens and how it goes down so that should be fun yeah it's gonna be a heck of a lot of fun but as you mentioned um we have something else to talk about we have something else that's animated to discuss tonight Mm Hmm. indeed we do and i i I don't know about you guys, but this movie, in in my opinion, might be one of the better Pixar films that we've seen in recent years. That's mm, not yeah. to disparage on anything that's come out, but as far as stuff that's happened in the last five years or so, I'd say the only Pixar movie that surpasses this one is Coco. Really? Like, there, there are some really, really great things about this movie that can be a little subtle at times, but when they're brought into the light, like I hope we do tonight, it, it'll, it'll, it'll explain why I feel the way that I do. But I have nothing but good things to say about this movie. It tells a great story. It's got some great character development, a lot of mythos, and it's just, it's a fun journey. It's a fun adventure story. One that, uh, the, is the is the stuff of legends, if you will, yeah. but uh, it's the it's the Disney Pixar film onward that's got a, a very interesting history as far as its financial records go. Its time at the box office was extremely limited due to COVID nineteen, and so Disney just decided to go ahead and put it on Disney Plus, and that's how my family saw it. That's how I ended up seeing it for the second time, and it's how you guys ended up seeing it for the first time, which is kind of interesting that we're at this point now where we're watching brand new stuff, brand new content on Disney Plus, first with The Clone Wars, and now we're seeing Onward on there in a very, very short amount of time. I think it was only in theaters for like a month. They took a couple of weeks off, and then the next thing you know, bam, it's already up on the streaming service. So just kind of a crazy whirlwind of events, but opportunistic for us because now we get to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I do... I hate that this movie, I mean, could could can definitely be considered a, a box office bomb under normal circumstances, but I don't think anyone's judging it like that. But still, it, it didn't make the money it, it should have, and and it, that it probably would have, you know, in regards to if we hadn't had a freaking pan, pandemic hit us. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's sad, but at the same time, I'm glad Disney was... was willing to do this and say hey let's just release it and people are stuck in their houses and they have disney plus why not and so i I love that i love that uh, you know as i said 
I really miss going to the theaters and watching these movies, but like if I can have it at home, then that's the next best thing. And like you, I really enjoyed Onward. I haven't seen as many Pixar movies as I want to. I'm still kind of catching up, but um, this is one of the better ones. I think this one was really well done. It, it's 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 in the same vein and kind of gives you what you expect in regards to a Pixar movie in regards to you know great visuals, great voice acting, you know everything, a great moral message, some feels in there, some some tears maybe even, um, and you know is all wrapped up in a really interesting package. It's something that I think. It's never really been done before. Like, you know, just just the baseline of we've seen we've seen plenty of road trip movies. We've seen plenty of family dramas. We've seen plenty of fantasy films. But taking all those things and kind of mushing them together in this way, I think, was really interesting and a really great way to do something different. And and to be expected from Pixar in regards to taking a concept that you really didn't think about and making it into something that's really cool. Jake, you're you're our resident uh, animation cinephile. <laughs> what uh, you, you've been you've been a little quiet during these initial impressions. I'm a little worried that you might have a different feel for this movie. Oh no, not 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 at all. Sorry, I'm I'm a little bit tired tonight, but I really wake like... up, Jake. <laughs> no, I'm awake now. Um, I I really spot. I'll do that to keep you awake. Yeah, every ten minutes, just yell and I'll, I'll be we awake. Need, we need a shock collar and we need to have a remote. <laughs> so I vote no. Ow, stop! Ow! <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh man, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Um, no, I'll I'll just uh, drink some coffee quick. But uh, I got to see this on my birthday. Actually, my birthday was the fifth of April, and I can't remember the exact date that it dropped on Disney Plus, but it was pretty darn close to to when my birthday was so uh you know we had my parents and my brother over for a little uh birthday get together and i suggested that we watched onward and we did and um i think my dad fell asleep halfway through it but he always does with any movie so i didn't take that to <laughs> Sounds heart Sounds like much. my dad it's yeah. like um like if she doesn't have something playing in the background or if she's not on her computer or something she falls asleep i never take that woman to the movie theater because it's like a 12 dollar nap for her oh yeah <laughs> no i mean i if i can get my dad to stay awake through an entire movie that movie is amazing it has to be like yeah, so it's a damn good movie if my mom watches everything like watch it all the way through yeah, yeah. I think the last movie I got my dad to do that with was What's Eating Gilbert Grape, which surprised me because it's not like the fastest movie in the world, but it's really it's a, a good, good movie, though. Such a good movie. And he like, really enjoyed that one. People thought Leo was actually special needs from that performance. Dude, I, every time I watch that movie, I'm like, is he, though? Like, I like I and I know he's not. It's insane. Like, wow. Yeah. But uh, anyway, but yeah, we watched it and my my initial impressions you know i i've only seen it once um i really would like to watch it a second time before giving it a you know a, a final judgment but i really really enjoyed it i thought there was so much good in it it's a lot of fun like you said zach there's a lot of character development you, you i think 
part of what makes a story good is when you can start a character off in one place or multiple characters and they end up in a different place, whether that means they learn something or they, um, I mean, it's usually they've learned something. That's usually the character development, but they, they just have to be in a different spot than they were when we first met them. And that definitely happens in this movie. And, um, I, I hesitate to say it's, it's, you know, even in my top like seven Pixar movies yet, uh, just because it just didn't it didn't hit me quite in the same way as something like uh, Monsters Inc. did or an Up did or uh, like you said, Coco did. It didn't quite hit me in that way uh, initially, but that's not to say it's a bad movie. Pixar puts out such good content um, time and time again. They're they're the they're the gold standard for family animation uh animated movies and films and they do such a good job at it it's 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 kind of like the mcu to me where it's like right. you have some less than like you know but less than uh you know not every mcu movie is a is a winter soldier you know but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie and that's kind of how i feel about this one right now and you know we can i i, I don't even know if i could put my finger on what about it is that way because you know we're going to talk about the movie tonight and i'm only going to talk positive things but that's just kind of my general feeling about it but i really really enjoyed it yeah i completely agree and i think uh, you know like you said I, it's not it may not be my favorite pixar movie even out of the ones that i've seen but i think it's up to their standards and definitely one of the better ones that they've that they've done in in especially in recent memory um, you know, it fits that it fits it fits the mold very well, and and it fits right in with you know, as we said, what uh, you know, what what we're you know, what we're always expecting from Pixar as a as you said, family entertainment, you know, and it's, yeah. it fits right there, and it's that it's really you know, strong moral messages, and you know, a lot of great humor, and you know, also just turning kind of different genres on their head and making it into something that's really special. So as I was talking about earlier, I went and found like a full list of uh, Pixar films. Cause I said, this was one of my favorite ones from the last five years or so. If we're doing that, we're going back to 2015, correct? Cause this is 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our list of Pixar films that we've gotten since, since 2015 are as follows inside out, the good dinosaur finding Dory cars, three, Coco, Incredibles 2, and Toy Story 4. I haven't seen Toy Story 4, but I would say that Coco, Inside Out for sure, probably is at the top of that list. Uh, And Incredibles 2 was, I I thought it was particularly fantastic. Um, But yeah, you're right. Out Out of the last five years of Pixar movies, this one would probably definitely be top three for sure. Maybe the third I, I think I'd put it Our probably I, I would I would put it in in somewhere along the lines of the top two. I enjoyed Incredibles two, and and I I watched Toy Story four because I'd seen the other three. Um, it's been a minute since I've seen Inside Out. I'll admit that, but Good Dinosaur, Finding Dory, and Cars three were all rather subpar to me. Mm. Like Cars three was enjoyable, but Cars three was what I expected Cars two to be. Yeah. So, yeah, Finding Dory was was 
not as great as I was hoping. But. Yeah, it it and honestly, good dinosaur is like in the bottom five of Pixar movies for me. Still haven't seen that one, and I I don't know if I ever will. To it's, be honest, it's not worth it. It it's just not worth it. The 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 name, the good dinosaur, is misleading because it's not a good dinosaur. It's not even a dinosaur. It's <laughs> It's 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 green Play-Doh set in a plastic world. <laughs> is that the is that the synopsis on the back? <laughs> the synopsis that I'm slapping on its back. <laughs> I can just I can just see that on the DVD or Blu-ray cover at Walmart. It's just blue Play-Doh in a plastic world. Zach Arnold, IPC podcast. Thumbs down. <laughs> It doesn't even have thumbs. <laughs> no. uh, Zach, I need you to be uh, uh, Rotten Tomatoes certified so I can read your very entertaining <laughs> reviews of bad movies. It's not good. It's... This is not a good dinosaur. Zach Arnold, IPC podcast. It's barely a dinosaur. <laughs> a good dinosaur in a bad movie. Oh man, it was. We're talking just... about onward here, people. We, we are, we are. But for can we at least say this is better than the Good Dinosaur? It's way better than the Good Dinosaur. <laughs> Zombies is better than the Good Dinosaur. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, them fighting words. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's a quote right there. I'm just saying. I would, I would rather have dinner with my ex's parents than watch the good dinosaur again. Oh my goodness. Oh damn. <laughs> I would I would rather eat Brussels sprouts for dessert for the next year than watch the good dinosaur. That wouldn't be so bad. Chocolate covered Brussels Nope, just Brussels sprouts. Wow. Just straight up Brussels sprouts. It's like, okay, time for dessert. What are we having? Ice cream? Nope. Brussels sprouts. <laughs> Remind me not to uh, suggest the good dinosaur as a as a topic. I rather switch to an iPhone than you than watch the good dinosaur. Oh, hey now, that is crossing the line. <laughs> you get off this chat. Yikes! <laughs> I'm a diehard Apple guy. <laughs> We're having oh fun tonight God. on the IPC podcast, folks. How you like them apples? <laughs> There's something there. I don't know. Okay. So onward. Yes. Uh, dad's Apple? being da- half of a dad. Um, uh, elf brothers. Um, dragons that are house pets. All this kind of stuff. Ah, uh, yes. Well, let me just say that one of the highest things I have to say praise-wise for this movie is just how like imaginative they were with make like blending because you got to think about the context of the story it's that and they give like a whole intro to how this is a magical world and you have um this uh like just a base of magic some people can do magic and and you've got your 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 staples and tenets of magic where you have you know your creatures like your orcs and your your uh your elves and uh you got wizards and all this and along the way you know magic kind of becomes forgotten because technology starts to advance and it's easier to use you know to get machines and things to do things for you instead of willpower to conjure up magic until magic really isn't used that much anymore and um to 
to uh, give us a world in which you basically are in a modern day world, but it's set in this magical world as well. So you've got, you know, you've got instead of a dog, you've got a dragon. And instead of um, I I can't even think of other examples. There's so many examples, though. Like there's there's unicorns running through the street like wild, like like raccoons. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And just pretty much everywhere you turn in this movie, there's something that is practical and normal that has been turned into something, you know, with a, a fantasy twinge and it's just really creative and fun you know it's kind of like a where's waldo of of magical references and there's references to things like lord of the rings there's references to dungeons and dragons there's everything you know and i thought that was a really clever thing to do and i mean i'm i'm assuming that the whole basis of this movie kind of stemmed off a conversation somebody had in the creative department of pixar is like what if we mixed these two worlds what would that look like and and the whole idea for this movie kind of stemmed out from there yeah i i love the whole reverse engineering of you know not a not doing a fantasy world not doing a real world with fantasy in it but doing a you know a let's back up and and say that you know we we live in a world that has this mythology and this all this stuff and wizards or whatever and you know is it real is it not real whatever it's kind of just kind of this ancient history by now and now we turn into a world where this stuff is real it did happen and not only that but you're taking the world as it was supposedly back in the day with all these wizards and dragons and all this kind of, and just progressing it forward into the modern world and yeah. what would that look like? Right. I love that whole idea in the mixing of like just making it so mundane and then taking these things where like, you know, there was magic but it's gone now and where is it gone? And you know, like the whole idea around certain people like they are in the real world being obsessed with this stuff like Barley is mm-hmm. and is like but it, he's not a nerd. He's a history buff. Right. Well, he, he's, he's a little bit of both, I feel like, because you, you don't see anybody else with a truck or a van quite like Guinevere. Yeah. Like, that is the quintessential <laughs> uh, hipster van, if you will. That's like their version of the Volkswagen bus, if you will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there, there is nothing more classic than something like Guinevere. And we'll get to that in, in just a second here. But um, I, I feel like it was if fairy tales became domesticated, you know, all of the yeah. stuff that all of the stuff that made it so phantasmical becomes so modernized now. And if I'm being totally honest, the stuff that they do around the city leading up to Ian's house and focusing in on Ian's family Seeing like the the mermaid in the pools taken in the sun, the unicorns that act like raccoons, seeing all the different types of of people groups and their families and stuff, it was like if um, Monsters Inc. and Zootopia had a love child on Middle Earth. <laughs> yes, like yeah, the, yeah. it's it's kind of what they do with with the with the Monsters Inc. world where you see all the other monsters and creatures that have all these unique features and and stuff, but you end up hyper-focusing on Mike and Sully. You see all these mythological creatures, and you're like, oh, that's a gnome. Oh, that's a troll. Oh, that's a pixie. Oh, that's a dragon. 
like you're you're identifying them a lot more easily than you would in Monsters Inc. But they're not as commonplace as things like you know giraffes and leopards and antelope and stuff like that, like you see in Zootopia. So they really do a good job of, of taking something that's been previously used, even within their own studio, and putting it to the the purpose of the story that they're trying to tell here. Like I saw where they were coming from, but at the same time, I also saw something completely new, which was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love the, you know, it is a very unique experience. You've really never seen a movie quite like this, even though it feels very, very old school and very, you know, familiar because they're using all these different elements. They're using this like, you know, the old road trip, trope where we're going on an adventure and we're going to do this and do that and you know kind of the whole thing with like it's a, it's a magical world with magical creatures and these mythical stuff but then it's done in the sense of like now they're just trying to function as normal people like yeah. you yeah. know the whole the whole bar scene and and you know I, I forget her name but like she she's just she's the just like manticore. Uh, she, the manticore and she's like just trying to make a living, you know, you know, being this, you know, running this place, this like is basically like a McDonald's like that. <laughs> and, you know, and then she's like, like this. Mi- right. So like and she's just this and then she's like, oh, OK, I forgot that like I'm this like terrifying beast <laughs> that, that can do all this stuff. And that whole like reconnecting with where you came from i like that whole bit and you know the by the end of it you kind of get this whole feeling that hey this this world is even more magical now yeah right because now that magic is back not only do you have modern science but you also have the ability to to harness the stuff that has always been within you and i think that's one of the other interesting underlying stories of this is ian has gone through his entire existence without meeting his dad, without knowing who his dad was, just hearing stories that he was brave, that he was bold, he was he was smart. And then this 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 basically this whole change of his world comes about when he gets that staff as a birthday present and he finds out there was more to his dad than meets the eye. And mm-hmm. he's actually got some of his dad's powers and he's learning how to harness it. All of a sudden, Ian's not just a a meek, awkward teenager in high school. He's the son of a wizard. Yeah. yeah. And it's almost like a Luke Skywalker kind of thing where he's just like a regular everyday type of person working, you know, doing stuff with his family. And then all of a sudden he finds out that his dad had powers of some kind and he's got to learn how to harness them. And... You know, the whole rest of the movie, he starts to realize about uh, things about himself as much as he was learning about his dad. He is getting stories from his brother and from like his mom and people around him that, that knew him. But he's also learning a lot about himself based on these experiences that he's having with his half father and with his brother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I love that whole rediscovery it is very like it is very like luke skywalker in the way that he's brought up and never knew his father and and then gets this reveal of oh my gosh like he had these he had he had a gift and that gift is now in you now and you you can mm-hmm. you can access you have that uh, power uh, too 
Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. And then, you know, even with some of these things that are, like, borrowed from other movies, you've also got this whole time crunch trope, if you will. Right. Like, oh, we've got until sundown tomorrow for this quest to be fulfilled. And he, like, even starts the watch, and he's looking at it like, okay, we've got 20 hours to do this. And if we don't, then we never get to see Dad again. Like, yeah, I get the whole putting time constraints on a spell and putting yourselves on some pressure. But, I mean, those those time-restricting tropes have been overdone a bit lately. And yet, yeah. and yet, they, they spin it in such a, a magical sense that it's not like, oh, we have to do it or somebody's going to die. It's just we have to do it before the magic wears off. But, you know, this was a question that my dad had, and this is one that I'm I'm still kind of on the fence about. Since they used up the first Phoenix gem and the spell was incomplete, why couldn't they recast the spell with the new Phoenix gem and get a reset for a fresh 24 hours? That's that that's what I kind of was expecting going mm -hmm. through the movie, because because, you know, you get down to the wire and you're like, OK, they are only going to have like a minute with their dad, like. And yeah. as it turns out, you know, only Barley gets that. And I I was very caught off guard by that. Like, okay, they're actually doing this. They're actually, like, you know, committing to anything. But I think it was, it, it was a great message for brotherly love and all that kind of stuff. And I think it, it was uh, a there's, thing. There's, there's, a, there's a few different messages in there, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that when we get to that point in the film. Right. Um, but I, I was hoping, and, and I know that this may be a long shot because we, we love bouncing around so much, but <laughs> – Maybe there's a chance that we go a little bit more chronological tonight, since it's yeah. the only topic that we've got for the evening. Because I do think there are some important sequences here that pay off at the end of the film. If anything, this movie has one of the better payoffs of any Pixar film. It may not be like the most complete movie. It may borrow a lot from other movies, as we've mentioned so far. But I think one of the cool things about this film is that there's almost nothing in this movie that doesn't get utilized at the end of the movie yeah, yeah. like if if there was ever some kind of weird reference or some subtlety that happens it ends up coming back around at some point in the film like the whole thing about guinevere being a van that's really really special when the boys go off on their quest and Guinevere's license plate falls off on the road less traveled, Officer Bronco sees it and knows that that's the road that he's supposed to go on in order to tail the boys. Mm -hmm. Like, they make special mention of Guinevere at one point in the movie so that they can end up using that Guinevere reference as an explanation as to how Officer Bronco knew to follow them there. Or, the here's, here's the one that I love, um the gelatinous cube. <laughs> yes. Barley talks about the gelatinous cube like two or three times over the course of the film. And then they actually get to an important sequence towards the second half of the film where they're going through this cavern that's full of traps and whatnot. And one of the things that they encounter is guess what? A gelatinous cube. Mm -hmm. Like, 
Everything like, comes full circle. Everything, literally everything comes full circle in this film. And I think it kind of starts in the Manticore's tavern, though. Like, as you guys were talking about a second ago, is the, the Manticore discovering who she is and, like, like coming back to her roots and things like that. But this is also the first place where we see Ian actually successfully use a full spell. Like, he, he did the, the halfway spell that 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 used up the phoenix gem when he was trying to bring his dad back but then when the manticore sets everything on fire then uh there's like a cross beam that's about to hit his dad he's not able to to get to the pants in time and so he uses the lifted the, le- the levitation spell and catches it at the last possible second he's using you know his his energy and his uh what do they call it a heart's fire or something like that mm-hmm uses that as his as his first successful uh, attempt at a spell and it kind of gives him the momentum to start using them in other instances but uh, the next time they're trying to use a, a growth spell to give themselves more gasoline and uh, it ends up backfiring on them which I thought was a hilarious element of the movie nobody in my family saw that coming and when when Barley shrunk down the way that he did, everybody got a good laugh out of that one. Yeah, that, that's probably my favorite part of the movie is the the interstate stuff and just the the mundane. We're out of gas, and we have to go walk to a gas station to get some gas. Just that trope that we've seen a thousand times in movies, but with the added bonus of oh it's a magical world and, and of course they're gonna they're it's it's an aspiring wizard trying to enlarge the camp which is actually an ingenious like well, thing really and, clever and barley idea Bar- it- barley's like barley's like okay you've got the gas can there's a little bit of gas in it you grow the can you get more gas out of it like simple as that and then <laughs> and then and then, and then, when, and then barley's huge you yeah, Barley's like, brother. it's huge. You're huge. The van's huge. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. So good. Oh, and, and the, what was it? The Pixies. The motorcycle game. Oh, the, those are hilarious. The biker Pixies. The biker Pixies. You got a problem, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to punch in your teeth. <laughs> I was do everything not to upset them, and they just end up pissing them off even more. <laughs> I was half expecting that gas station. Not gonna lie, I was half expecting that gas station to be a Dynaco. Yeah. Oh, that would have been great. Wouldn't it, wouldn't that have been a cool tie-in? But that's not to say that they don't they don't make references to previous Pixar movies, though, because you've got the you've got the some of the classic Pixar tropes, like the pizza truck has got to be in every in every movie. And uh, it shows up when they're at the at the troll bridge where they have to pay the toll to the troll. <laughs> one of the one of the other trucks in one of the other lanes is the Pizza Planet pizza truck. Oh, and, wow. oh uh, wow. the the Pixar ball makes an appearance in the background of the Manticore's tavern, as oh. does Remy the rat from Ratatouille. Really? According mm. to the trivia on IMDb, the the line cook in the Manticore's tavern is Remy the Rat. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. That is interesting. So all this considered, all the Pixar references considered, like uh, where does this fit in the Pixar theory? How? Uh, how, how mm. I, I want to hear people's thoughts on this. I, I, 
I feel like it's somewhere between um, Cars and Brave. Hmm, okay. Because um, Cars is supposed to be like after Wally, after everybody has left, before they come back and plant the tree that turns into Bugs Life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. And and I think I think there's a lot of magic and and mystical energy that comes into into the movie Brave, um, and a lot of that. I feel like a lot of that magic is is evidenced obviously in this film. So I think we're in a place past the sentience of vehicles, but before we get to the 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 witch in in brave i think she's learning some of the magic that is slowly dying out and is using it to find her way back to the monster's world in order to find sully because she's actually boo ah isn't it doesn't at some point the there's like an apocalypse happens and the world collapses and like the there's some there's something that happens like apocalyptically. Of course, we have you know uh, Wally, right? That depicts the basically the end of the world, but also the rebirth of the world. So like, mm. I, I want to see a timeline. I people get to work on it. I want to see your YouTube videos. There was a timeline for a while, but I feel like at this point Pixar would be playing into that. They'd be like. Oh, we're gonna mess with them and just do this and just see if anybody notices and see how they how they figure it out. Because I don't think they necessarily are trying to make it all one universe, but they know people are gonna try to do it themselves. Okay, if we're talking universe, then maybe this isn't even planet Earth. Maybe this maybe is not. maybe this is another planet that the Axiom from Wally encounters on its space travels. Maybe. And like, you think about it. There's no humans right in this world right and there's no there's no like there's no indication that it's that it's earth it could right. be it could be like middle earth you know whereas middle earth is kind of like it's earth but it's really not well and steven points out in the chat that there's multiple moons surrounding this planet so it really oh. can't be earth there you go that's your thing this is another planet so I would I would venture a guess that this is this is some other planet that the Axiom passes by on its adventures in Wally. So it would probably be on a similar timeline to Wally. Either it's probably it's probably pre Wally. That that would that would be my guess. Wally's back on Earth, hasn't made it to the Axiom yet, and the Axiom over the course of its what, six hundred year history or something obviously has to encounter other planets along the way, and this is one of them. It would be interesting if there was one of those Eevee probes in this movie somewhere, like hidden, like it was like exploring uh, the planet uh, or something. Oh, but see, it would have found life if it did that. But maybe it's looking for an uninhabited planet. That could be. If it, if it found a planet with life but it was inhabited like uh oh nah not not cool because it's trying to find a new home for humans or or like uh you know that company in wally by and large you could have bieth and largest 
Oh, I love it. I love it. They had the, the, the fast food place that Ian went to at the beginning of the movie was called the Burger Shire. And the Burger Shire. And, it, and the sign on it said, now serving second breakfast. <laughs> oh, my God. That's amazing. That's amazing. So it's it's got it's got some references like that. Um, going back to the gas station, I'm just looking over the trivia right now. It says back at the gas station, which is where we are in the sequence of the movie, triple dent gum is one of the items that gets sold at the gas station. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! And That's y'all know funny. where triple dent triple dent gum comes from? Inside Out. Yes. Oh really? Okay. All right. Yep. Yep. Yep, and apparently all the sorcerers at the Manticore's tavern are wearing uh, uh, the the waiters and waitresses are wearing sorcerer sorcerer Mickey Mouse hats from Fantasia. Oh my gosh! Are you kidding me? This is oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> this movie, I gotta watch it again now to get there, all these references. There's so many Indiana Jones references, but my favorite one is probably when he, uh, Ian has to walk. Or wait, I'm sorry. Is Tom Holland's character Ian? Yes. Or is that Barlet? Okay, Ian. Ian, Ian. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. He has to walk across the gorge and use that spell. That's like the, the invisible bridge, and that yeah, totally reminded me of in the Last Crusade when he has to walk across the bridge, and guaranteed, uh, guaranteed. The reason that like it's because I was expecting something like Indiana Jones, like he would step on it, but you can only see it from a certain perspective. Yeah. Guaranteed, they made that specifically so it would be different from Last mm-hmm. Crusade, yeah. because it's very, very similar to that. Only, uh, you know, there's not a lot of faith going on there because he's got a rope tied around him. Right, it's not a leap of faith. Yeah, yeah. Well, he needed the rope the first time, but then didn't need it the second time, which reminded me a lot of, um, I don't know what it was. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe it was the 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 narrow bridge and the. The, the perilous danger, but I got a lot of Shrek vibes and I got a lot of Emperor's New Groove vibes from that. <laughs> yeah. Just keep on moving. Don't look down. Don't keep on moving. Down. Don't look down. Barley, I'm looking down. <laughs> <laughs> that that was intense. I'm sorry. That stressed me out. Yeah. When he loses the rope, like, oh, God, and, and Barley's on the other side just, like, cringing the whole time. And then Ian calls over his shoulder and he's like, you still got the rope? And he's like, yeah. I grabbed <laughs> <lies> to him. <laughs> He's got, not lying. He's got the rope, all right. He just don't got you. And then, then he starts prancing around in the middle of nowhere, like he's jumping, like a little skipping from side to side. And Barley's just like, "Dude, get over there! Just, just go!" Unbelievable. <laughs> oh man, you're right. That that scene was really intense. But just it was it was so much fun to also watch, like the the brotherly bond between the two of them was very prevalent in that scene. Like the way that they work together. It was, it was so, it was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Mm, I'm trying to see what other trivia there is in this, because there was another one in here that I thought um, was interesting, but I can't seem to find it. Uh, oh, Nope, I'll come to it eventually. I'm not gonna. I, I real, real quick, something just popped into my mind. I love the shot. I know it's a little bit later, but like when they get rid of, uh, when when they ditch, uh, Guinevere, and they start walking across, and it finally turns into like this true fantasy movie where they're you know gallivanting across these beautiful, you know, scenarios and these yeah. these, these scenic things, and then there's a plane flying over. 
in the background. There's a there's a there's an airliner in the, okay. in the thing in the shot. This beautiful shot airliner. Okay. I'm like, this is perfect. You know what that was in reference to? No. That no. is that I believe that that is in reference to. It, it may be subtle, and it may not be something that shows up in the IMDb trivia, but I believe that that is a subtle nod to the airplane that makes an accidental cameo in the movie Braveheart. Mm. Oh, there's a there's an airplane in that one. The, the the sequence where William Wallace is like, "They will never take our freedom," like the big inspirational quote that uh, that that Mel Gibson gives that everybody loves to make memes out of and stuff. There's there's a, there's one particular sequence you have to be looking for it to find it, but they do like a shot of some of the of the soldiers that are like getting inspired by the motivational speech that he's giving. And over their shoulder is an airplane coming in for a landing. Wow. Was that intentional? No, like, what it, is no. it? Completely incidental. They were just filming, and a plane happened to end up in the camera shot, and it made it into the final cut. That's hilarious. My gosh. I, That's funny. Let me see if I can find it. Airplane in Braveheart. Yeah. You know what? I just got the fact that you were talking about Braveheart and not Disney's Brave, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm like, wait, did they even film that movie? They animate a plane in there. <laughs> no, animate a plane in. Yeah, there. something similar happened in like this fantasy movie or something where they're in the desert and uh, it's supposed to. I, I'm not sure if it's a fantasy movie or it takes place back like hundreds of years ago, but in the distance, in the background, you can see a car parked or something and yeah. it's like there's wow. also there's also a moment in Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indy's like after right after he thinks he's lost Marion he's sitting there like drinking himself to death and there's a guy in the background because like they couldn't close off the street uh, like a tourist just wandered <laughs> on, onto the set as they were filming so if you look closely in the background there's some guy in like normal like 1980s clothes yeah. in like jeans and a t-shirt walking around among all this stuff that's supposed to be from the 1940s wow oh man oh man oh man okay so let let's go let's go to the to the point where they're escaping from the pixies from the from the gas station earlier in the film ian was trying to learn how to drive and yeah. now Barley is too shrunk to actually be able to drive. So Ian's the only one who can because his dad wouldn't do a very good job at it. He'd only be able to pump the brakes. So you're um, saying he's too shrunk to be able to drive instead of too drunk to be able to drive? <laughs> no shrunk driving, Barley. <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he gets to the point where he's got to get on the on-ramp. And he's, he didn't know how to merge before, and he doesn't know how to do it now. And he's like, I'm not ready. And Barley just very casually says, you'll never be ready. Just do it. That like, is such a life thing. It's just, like, so true. It's like, you'll never be ready for anything. Just do it. You, you're never, you're never going to be ready to merge. You're never going to be ready for certain moments in life. But you just got to, to do it anyway because life expects it of you life demands it of you and and he and he does it and he does it successfully and he ends up excuse me he ends up finding his way away from the pixies and is able to actually drive them um to to their to their destination and 
um, they they get pulled over at one point, and he has to cast this spell of deception, and he mm-hmm. and he pretends to be Officer Colt Bronco, which. <laughs> I want to get you guys' opinion on on Colt Bronco for a second here, because I'm the stepdad, the the stepdad character that looks nothing like any of them, like, working hard or hardly working. Obviously, interspecies relationships are totally cool in this universe. <laughs> well, I have a feeling that interspecies relationships are probably along the lines of like interracial dating in this world or something like that. Yeah, probably. Like it's they're way more open minded in in Pixar community than they are in our world well okay did you did you catch the the little the little subtlety about the 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 female cop that pulled him over talking about how her girlfriend's kids are giving her a hard time yeah yeah yeah. i was waiting for that they got a little lgbt in there which was which was pretty cool it was extremely subtle in a way because it was one of these things where it's obviously whoever I, I I'm not stereotyping here. I'm just saying like they're they're the character of the character was kind of like a black woman. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the voice actor. So that's the way they they kind of leaned into it. Like she was like you know my girlfriend's kids or whatever. It played like she was talking about her girlfriend as in her friend's kids. Mm-hmm. So it could be interpreted that. So I think they kind of weaseled it in that like. Nobody would notice, but they got it in there, and it is like the official first gay character in a Disney Pixar movie, which is which is great, which is great. I all support it, but like it's it's a small step in the right direction, but still very small step. Yeah, it, that, and that's kind of been the trope with with like recent releases, like even with the the Rise of Skywalker. You know, right? There's, there's the, there's, 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 the, the, there's the kiss, but nobody on either end of the spectrum really cares for it because it's like, oh, you just kind of threw it in there because you could, not because you actually care. Right? It ends up, it's funny. It ends up pissing off everyone because, like, right? people that people that are you know of the conservative minds that don't want that kind of stuff in their movies are like, no, I don't like that. And then people that do want it are like, well, it's too little, too late. Like, you know, what what do you you know you could have done more mm-hmm. and then it just it just falls flat yeah. yep nobody nobody enjoys it on either end of it um but it was it was interesting to see ian and, and barley work together there trying to figure out how to actually get out of that tough situation and continue their adventure um you kind of learn a little bit about ian and the fact that he's not a very good liar like no. whatever whatever is going on with him that he is like this habitual truth teller and it ends up coming back to bite him in the ass a little bit later on in the film because almost literally it like, it, it, <laughs> it bit it bit his ass because his ass was his brother <laughs> well okay he was being was he was good. being he was also being an ass to his brother I, I love i love how every little thing and you're right this movie is so tightly written like yep. it's so everything leads to something else. Yep. And with this, you have this kind of random scene where they have to talk their way out of getting pulled over, and they're playing the part of the cop. And the whole thing is, if you lie, the the, the, the spell, the, the illusion goes away. Yeah. Right. And so he has to tell the truth. So and you know he says, oh, he's a screw up, and it all plays into him and his brother's relationship, and the fact that you know, Ian genuinely thinks. 
truthfully that his brother is a screw up and it hurts his feelings because he was telling the truth. He knows he was telling the truth. Yep. And it just plays into their whole character dynamic. I love Barley and Ian, one of the best Disney duos, I think. So great. And their development over this, of course, this entire movie is phenomenal. I mean, just because they haven't had four movies, I can't necessarily equate them to like Buzz and Woody. But right. I, I, I get I get what you mean. Like I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Their chemistry and and their development just continues to grow. And and I think part of it has to do with the fact that that Barley has all of the knowledge and the history of what Ian is going through, and yet cannot harness the powers himself. Right. And so he serves as like this mentor almost. You know, teaching him these different spells, the levitation spell and the 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 the, the cast of, of deception and the the uh, enlarging spell like he's teaching him all of these different things. And as the movie progresses, he starts integrating more and more of them. Like, I don't right. I don't know if you guys caught this, but one of my favorite moments um, when I start to realize that that Ian is kind of coming into his own and harnessing his own powers is when they're in the cave and they see the caricatures of the of the the wizards and, and the magic users of old and they realize they have to follow the water to the end of wherever it leads and they're like oh we don't have a boat well guess what you make the most of what you have and what they have are the cheese puffs that they bought at the gas station. <laughs> All I could think about when they were riding the cheese puff was like how cheesy their clothes probably were. Like, okay, that would just be a yeah, that stuff gets everywhere. I was thinking of something completely different. I was thinking of the killer cheese puffs from the VeggieTales movie, The Pirates That Don't Do Anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, maybe this is another crossover thing because remember the bowl of cheese puffs that Al from Al's Toy Barn spills all over the floor that Woody can't step on in Toy Story 2? Could they be the same brand? Ooh. Oh, my goodness. You're right. Oh, Somebody check. That minefield of cheese puffs. The my. Oh, my gosh. I'd almost forgotten about that because that movie was so mad to me that I just – I. I need to watch. Okay, so Onward is like the most layered movie I can remember right now. <laughs> it's so much to this. He he casts the enlargement spell and then he learns the new acceleration spell <laughs> in order to to propel them down the road or down the river and they're basically on a cheese puff motorboat. It doesn't get more <laughs> fantastical than that. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But what was really cool about that sequence was you learn more about Barley on that boat ride. And, yeah. and and Barley's story that he tells actually kind of resembled a young Peter Quill, if you will. You're right. Because he talks about how he was... Let me see if I can find it. Um, he was hooked up to tubes. He didn't look like himself. And he just got scared and didn't go in. Wasn't Peter's mom hooked up to tubes and didn't look like herself? And he got too scared yeah. to go in at the beginning of the first Guardians movie? Yeah, because she, yeah. she has cancer and she's lost all her hair and stuff like that. And, you know, it's a really awkward scene. And it's meant to be awkward because it's him. And you can you can tell from Peter Quill, for Peter Quill specifically, 
you can tell that he turns away and he won't take the present from her, and then he, you know, he's taken out of the room and kind of has a, you know, and you can tell that sticks with him for the rest of his life. Yeah. He like regrets not taking it from her and taking her hand. And with this, it's like it's even it's it's tragic for for Ian that he never got to know his father, but it feels even more tragic and more you know heartbreaking that. Barley has this one regret in his life that he didn't get to tell his dad goodbye. He he didn't get that moment, and he he himself made the choice not to do it, mm. and he regrets it. That's very you know very relatable yeah. because everybody has regrets. Hopefully, not regrets that big, but like we can all regret like why did I do that thing? And you missed your one chance to do that one thing you really wanted to do, and you should have done, and. That's why I love the way the movie ends is the fact that, you know, Barley does get that chance to rectify it and Ian helps him. Yeah. Yeah. So I got I got one little sidebar that I want to I want to tell you guys about. And then maybe we take a, a commercial break. Uh, okay. But uh, I actually saw this movie with uh, a friend of mine uh, for his privacy sake. I didn't ask him if I could tell this story. So for his sake, I'm not going to name names, but you both know this person. And um I went and saw this movie in the theater opening weekend with this guy. And uh, at the time, his dad was very sick with cancer. Mm -hmm. And when the movie finished, we talked about the fantastical elements and we talked about the storytelling and all that sort of stuff. But one thing that he kept coming back to was the, the dad relationship stuff. And as luck would have it or would not have it depending on who you ask the very next day his dad passed away wow wow and after after he told me that i was like oh my gosh like my timing could not have been worse to see this movie <laughs> because yeah. he was going through a lot of crap and then that just kind of compounded it but he told me he told me dude if if i had seen this movie after my dad passed i would not have been able to sit through it yeah oh my god so it, in a way it was probably good that we saw it the night before because mm -hmm. the whole time i knew about his situation and i was listening to like these kinds of stories and then he ended up telling me similar stories about his dad. And I was like, Oh my God, what did I do to this man? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think it's just one of those times where a movie resonates perhaps a bit more than it's supposed to just because of how relatable it can be to certain people. Like oh, yeah. you, you, you don't expect it to resonate and then all of a sudden it does. And I think that's one of the things that Pixar does the best at. They really hit you where you live. It, it, it tugs on those things. And you can tell that the people making these movies aren't just making a movie. They're making something that's very personal to them. Yeah. That they've perhaps even had these type of experiences and they're projecting them onto these animated characters and putting it into this fantastical, ridiculous, comedic sense but it's so human so relatable as i said there's no humans in this movie but it's a such a human story it is 
It really, really is. And I, that that's one of the things that I find so brilliant about it is, like you said, no humans and yet also very human simultaneously. Yeah. Crazy how yeah. they do that. All right. Well, we're going to hit the pause button for just a second and say hello to our uh, our partners and our sponsors and all those other good people that you usually hear at the at the middle slash last third <laughs> of the podcast. But we're going to continue our discussion of Disney Pixar's Onward on the other side of that break. Don't go anywhere. This is IPC. IPC listeners, this is Joey Mays, intergalactic patron and promoter of my family business, Mays Sandwich Shop. We are proud to be supporting IPC and the endeavors of young, talented individuals like Zach, Ben, and Jake. Should you ever find yourself in the area of Reading, Pennsylvania, be sure to stop by Mays Sandwich Shop. Started by my grandfather in 1947, currently owned by my father and operated by my sister and me, May's Sandwich Shop has been serving delicious food to the greater Westlawn area for over 70 years. If you ever do visit, be sure to tell them IPC sent you. We are back here on the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, coming to you on channel1138.com, starwarsunderworld.com, ipcpodcast.podbean.com, and also places like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and uh, even, even some other platforms that I didn't realize we were on, just thanks to our uh, distribution partners. But we're, we're on a lot of different podcast platforms, and we're excited to have you with us on this podcast. A quick thank you to the people that help make this podcast possible. People like Joey Mays, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, Parker Ott, Carrie Fleming, and our very own Jake Damon contributes financially to the show. Who I am not. I'm just, I'm the alternate universe version of him. Oh, yeah, that's the alternate universe, Jake. It's the, it's the our universe, Jake, that contributes to the show. Yes, yes. But, I would never do that. Right, right. But if you're interested in becoming a partner of this program, then go check us out at patron.podbean.com slash IPC podcast. It only goes up to about five bucks a month, which is literally just like one latte fewer per month. Just go to Starbucks a little less often and support local podcast programming. And you can get exclusive access to our Peacekeeper Corps. You can get some pretty heavy-handed influence in what top five discussions we talk about. You also sometimes get to be on those top five programs when we help host them, and so much more. So go check us out there, and find us on social media as well at IPC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, so we're continuing this quest that our two adventurers are on, and... 
they actually encounter a, a series of traps at the end of that um, riverboat tour that they took on the giant cheese puff, as we were mentioning right before the break. And a lot of those, the the open chasm with the with the sequence of death and the arrows that come shooting out from the sides. Totally so Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. Even the gelatinous cube coming down the hallway, like you're tying in the gelatinous cube reference that Barley makes while also giving them the impending peril that you get from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like so many Indiana Jones vibes there. But one twist that I did not see coming was when they finally got their way out of all of those twists and turns. They make it to the light at the end of the tunnel with the water creeping up on them and stuff. And when they when they finally make it out, they're right back where they started. Yep. Yes. At the school. Like, that was one thing I was not expecting was to see the school outside of that of that tunnel like I, I think it's interesting how everything's become so modernized in this world that the stuff of adventures and the stuff of quests leads you right back to modern technology and it was just it was so crazy how how disheartened and confused these guys were and how hopeless they felt that the sun was nearly down and there wasn't any time left to to be with their dad and this this is where that sequence with uh pretending to be officer bronco shows up because ian actually lashes out at barley and does call him a screw-up to his face mild-mannered ian who's been kind of of chill yet in a frantic way finally lashes out and like it really kind of cuts people to the quick a little bit there but Mm -hmm like you're you're expressing yourself finally and these are the things that ian wasn't able to do at the beginning of the film like he was trying to invite these kids over to his who his birthday party and he was like scripting it on his hands and stuff but he's not meek anymore he is saying exactly what he thinks and feels unfortunately it came at the expense of his brother's feelings right he i mean you know ian goes through a lot i love i love when uh, his mom shows up at the tavern, and she's like, "Oh yeah, my kid, he's he's scared of everything." And and she's like, "No, no, no, he was like telling me off, mm. and you know, got me to like change my ways and and turn the tavern back into something." You know, it's so it's it, I, I love that Ian is already at that point making some big changes, yeah. and then you know he gets to the sure. end and he's you know says something is is big changes, but also is a direct, you know, it's it's really bad on Barley. Um, who, you know, but he makes it up to him fairly quickly. Yes. He does, he does. And that's the cool thing, is, again, one of those elements that you don't expect gets tied into the movie again in a really unique way. At the beginning of the film, there was, like, this viral video going around of a environmentalist-slash-history hippie that had tied himself to a fountain so that it wouldn't get torn down. And that that environmentalist hippie was barley and it's like oh you're getting in trouble again stop causing problems they're taking away our town's history and then guess what that piece of town's history just happened to have the phoenix gem that they've been in search of all this time yep like 
what kind of circular storytelling are we getting that something from the first 10 minutes of the film turns out to be one of the most important elements of the whole film. The Phoenix gem that they've been after all this time was literally right across the street from the school that Barley picked him, picked up Ian from at the beginning of the film. Like it just, it takes us all the way back. And also, I thought, I oh, yeah, go cool. no, go ahead, dude. I'm well, done. I just thought it was clever. Cause you know, when they pick up the Phoenix gem, they get it, but a curse is in it too, you know, and we don't, we aren't really sure what, uh, what that curse is until the very end, you know, once they get the, the Phoenix gem, but, uh, it turns out to be like the, basically the dark spirit of this dragon. And it just kind of attracts everything around it to form this dragon made out of pieces from the buildings and things around it. And I thought it was so clever to have the, the, uh, the, the dragon mask out of the school, is yeah. painted on the side of the building and its head is the head of the dragon. And uh, I thought that was so clever. The, the painted cartoon mascot turns out to be something really intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that because I was like, I was, I was expecting something a little bit more like intimidating, but they found a way to make it both intimidating and entertaining at the same time. Right. And the, the dragon's roar was the school bell. Oh, really? I didn't even catch that. There's a there's like a there's there's like a there's like a tringing ringing kind of thing so that when it roars it's like a <laughs> when the bells passing between periods and stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, they even the sound editing, they throw little nuggets at us that you kind of have to be looking for and listening for in order to get them, but they're out there. Yeah. But it's this fight with the dragon that I feel like is where everything, everything really comes together. This, this final action sequence is like the perfect big payoff. Everything, almost literally everything that has been building up to this point gets utilized in this few minutes because the Manticore shows up and the Manticore, she has not flown in years because of her winging exercise. But when the boys are in danger, guess who comes flying in to save the day out of nowhere? The Manticore. Yep. Guess yeah. who's got the the sword? It's it's the mom. And she was doing like jazzercise at the beginning of the movie. If you remember <laughs> that at the very beginning of the film, she's doing jazzercise in the living room and she's holding something kind of in the middle of her chest and she's like jumping from side to side shouting out I am a mighty warrior kind of like a I don't know what like who was who was that dude that did the exercise videos in the in the 90s the the small dude with the afro Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, uh Richard Simmons? Simmons. Yes, I wanted to say Richard Simmons. Oh, I knew that God. wasn't right. It was it was like a Richard Simmons type of exercise video, and then she's like, "I am a mighty warrior." <laughs> but then she, at the end of the movie, she's got the Manticore sword, and she's doing those jump steps up the back of the dragon, saying, "I am a mighty warrior." <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, you are, Queen. Do it." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh, that that payoff was awesome. So you got the, the Manticore's character development. You've even got the mom coming back around and helping with the boys. And then it hits. Ian loses the staff. He's not really sure what he's going to do next. But he had that growth spell. And we've been dealing with splinters in this movie the whole time. Yep. This staff has been giving them splinters the whole course of the film. And one of the lessons that Ian's been learning is to make the most of what he's got. And what he's got is a splinter and an enlargement spell. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> I like that kind of stuff. It's both comical and brilliant. It was mind-blowing for me. I was like, yes! <laughs> yes! Do that! That is so cool! I never would have thought of that! But at the same time, these are the kinds of things that people think of and the kind of creativity that people use when playing something like a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Yes. You know, like, yeah. my, my sister plays D&D, &D and she was talking about how relatable a lot of these spells and, and experiences and even the fight sequence, excuse me, even the fight sequence was relatable. And she was like, this is actually a really good representation of D and D. And I really was not expecting that. So, you know, not only does this film have like some great storytelling elements, but it, it's apparently very true to life or to the fantasy life that people live in the D and D world. And it's a family movie, so anybody that hasn't experienced D&D &D or hasn't experienced, you know, the, the, the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings franchise or hasn't seen Indiana Jones, I don't know what rock they've been hiding under if they haven't seen either of those franchises, but it's accessible. It has all these, these references and nods, and yet it's still accessible to other people, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's And it's, as you said, I think... The best stories really are like using, you know, these fantastical elements that are so out of this world and so ridiculous. And in this sense, like you can take like a a Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, whatever, which uses fantasy elements to tell very grounded stories about humans and whatever, and they're very relatable. But this manages to do that, but also make it very funny, make it very ridiculous and over the top, but at the same time still manage to make it brilliant and smart and also very, very just emotional and make it so that it's it's grounded in that emotion of that, that very, again, human emotion. We're, we're talking about elves here, guys. <laughs> elves. These are, they're, 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 this is a family of elves with, you know, a, a, dra a dragon creature, whatever you call the manticore. And so, but it's so, like, relatable as for us as humans. So, and I think it's it's all comes down to that one, that, that last little moment that you get with thing. And it's, it's satisfying, and it's, like, you build up the whole movie to that. But I think, you know, part of Ian's journey is realizing that, you know, the old saying, you don't, you 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 don't know until you, you, you standing right beside you. Like you don't what you wanted all along was with you the mm -hmm. entire time. It, interestingly enough, the the Peter Quill analogy continues yeah. because that's what Peter Quill learns in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is that he's 
he wants a father, and he's desperate to get to connect with his real father and realizes his real father is a supervillain, and then loses Yondu, who he realizes is actually his 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 real father, his actual father that actually cared about him. And in this one, it's, you know, Ian realizing, who's played, I know, played by Tom Holland, but still you have the, the, the Chris Pratt connection of having this, you know, person who he's longed to have a relationship with his dad. It kind of does, at least with the lore <laughs> of him, and, and for a little while, but realizes that what he wanted in a father in that relationship, he, he already had with Barley. Yeah. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And, and also... It goes back to the whole idea of fathers, fathers, and even mothers. It doesn't, you know, it's not doesn't always have to be about blood. It doesn't always have to be about, you know, or, or be about the actual thing. Brothers can also be fathers, you know, can can have that same relationship. And I think Barley was more of a, a more of an influence on him than than he realized. And and it was them. The whole movie is about them appreciating each other. And understanding each other better because they seem very distant. They're very different. They come in and, and you can tell Ian's just annoyed by him. You know, he's like, oh, this over the top guy, and he's you know he's doing all this stuff. And by the end, they they, they love each other yeah. even more. Well, I mean, the, the the flashbacks that he has about learning to swim and learning to ride his bike, thinking about learning to drive, all of those things that you, that you think about when you're when you're thinking about what to what you're doing with with your dad learning to do those things. And then the, the checklist that he had playing catch, laughing together, heart to heart, sharing your life stories. Like those are all things that he did with barley. Yeah. And that, that, that realization led to what, what I thought was one of the coolest lines where he's like, I never had a dad, but I always had you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That, Mm. Mm. That really got to me. That that also the the moment the moment where I cried, and I will fully admit this, I have no shame, is after Barley has his moment with his yeah. dad and he says, Yeah, he, he said he was really proud of you and he also wanted to give you this and he hugs him. And that's yeah. when I lost him. Yeah. yeah, because you don't hear the conversation, you just see the hug. And you realize that not only was that hug for Barley, but it was also meant for Ian. Like, oh my yeah. gosh. And this... Stop it, you're going to make me cry again! literally spent a whirlwind of 24 hours. He spent an entire 90-minute film trying everything he could to have those few seconds with his dad. Like, he, he, he stood up to a manticore... He 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 lied to police officers. He turned a cheese puff into a motorboat. Like this kid did so <laughs> much with the sole purpose of of getting to meet his dad. And then when worse came to worse, when the final moment came, he recognized that he would be better suited using the powers that he had been learning from his dad and his brother so that his brother got a chance to say the proper goodbye that he never got to when he lost his dad the first time. Yeah. Going back to that story that he told about him, about him being hooked up to, 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 to tubes and not looking normal and all that stuff. Like 
that resonated with Ian probably more than any other adventure that they had. That heart-to-heart resonated with him so much that he was willing to risk his life against a cursed dragon so that his brother would get to say goodbye to the dad that he never met. Yeah. Like, dude, do you realize how heavy that is? Like, oh my gosh. And again, all the big payoffs. He learned how to use the invisible bridge. He enlarged the splinter into a staff. He used the levitation. He even called the lightning spell. And when he when it came time to slay the dragon, he used the levitation and the acceleration spell to plunge the sword into the heart of the beast. Like he literally used everything in his playbook that he had been learning and practicing over the course of the whole film. And he did it at the, just the right moment in order to save the day. Yeah, exactly. Like that, I'm I'm like I'm like Marty Marty McFly here. This is <laughs> heavy, man. <laughs> You're not expecting something that heavy to be hitting you during a Pixar movie, or are you? Because I mean that kind of stuff is what happens at the end of a of a Pixar film is they they give you like a really heavy emotional moment. Think of of Carl going through the scrapbook at the end of Up. Think of of the Mama Imelda at the end of Coco telling Miguel to never give up on his dreams. Uh, you know, think of, of the, the end of Toy Story 3 where, where they're all at Bonnie's house and, and he says, happy trails, partner, as Andy drives off into the sunset. Like, oh, it gives you that weight that you just don't get from a whole lot of other films. And it's like heavy, yes, but in a satisfying way everything that they had been building up to every part of the of the story that they've been weaving together that one thread just makes you as a viewer come unraveled and that is the beauty of pixar yeah yeah absolutely oh man okay I, I think we actually made it through the chronology of the film. After the film is after after this big fight scene, there's like an epilogue where you know Colt Bronco's kind of hanging out around the house a little bit more often, and Ian's got those friends now that he's hanging out with. He's harnessing the power in order to do some some casual stuff like slapping a paint job on Guinevere 2.0. It's almost like an epilogue, but like right yeah. there at the very end of it is the last Pixar. Easter egg, the last one that has to get thrown in there. Every Pixar film has an A113 reference in there. Mm, yep. Going back to the, the, what was it, the classroom that they all studied in or something like that? I think that's what it is. And yeah. as Colt Bronco's getting ready to, to go out on, on, his, on his day, on his radio, it comes in and says... We have an A113 in progress. Like that's wow. a, that's <laughs> that's the police code. We have a 113 in progress, or an, we have A113 in progress, something to that effect. And it's just very subtle, but I think I could be wrong, but I think it's the first time that we've had a spoken rendition of that Easter egg in a Pixar film. Nice. Every other time, it's been wow. like on a letterhead of some kind or something like that. Interesting. But yeah, um, I guess it's time for, for final thoughts. 
and planet scores. And I, I'm curious um, where where this movie's going to rank for you guys. I have a pretty solid feeling of, of what I'm going to give it, but uh, given the the uh, middle of the road initial impressions and given how this discussion went, um, I'm curious to, to see how things go. Um, ben, how many times did you get to see the film? Just the one? Just the once. I watched it earlier. Okay, this week. so we've got to combine four viewings between the three of us because I've seen it twice now. And then, Jake, you saw it once on your birthday a couple of weeks ago, right? Correct. Okay. So, based on what you remember and based on what we talked tonight, Jake, how, how would you rate this film? Well, like I said before, it's, it's a really good film. It's great. And I do do feel like I have to give it a second watch to fully be able to judge it. But based on my first watch, um, very enjoyable Pixar film. Um, and it, it, it didn't quite resonate with me on the level that something like an up did or an inside out did, but it was, it did do what it set out to do. It was very clever, um, it was very heartfelt and without having seen it more than once, I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. Um, the things I have to nitpick about it are, are just things like, and I can't even think of any off the top of my head, but I remember while watching it thinking that there were a few missed opportunities and there were a few, um, areas in the script where I thought it could have been a little bit more clever or it could have been a little less cliched here and there, but those are pretty minor, you know, and I, I'm going to watch this another time very soon here when I can and, and really give a better formulated thought, but that's, that's just kind of where I am right now. Uh, I highly recommend it though. Go see it. It's on Disney plus. If you don't have Disney plus, there's so many good reasons to get Disney plus and that's one of them. So, yeah. All righty. That, that's, that's very, very interesting. Um, I guess I wasn't expecting it to be as high as an 8.5 given your, your initial thoughts on it. I thought it'd be somewhere in the, in the seven to eight range possibly. Well, I mean, it's still a Pixar movie, you know, I, I, I have a hard time going below, <laughs> below eight with the Pixar movies. Uh, you would definitely do so with the good dinosaur. Just saying. I re- I think I might watch that just so I can see what all the hubbub is about. Watch it just to spite me, and then you'll write me two <laughs> hours later and be like, you were right. right. That's two hours of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> all right. It's got to be on Disney Plus, right? Yeah, yeah. It's on Disney Plus. That's all how right. I watched it. I didn't see it in theaters. I didn't buy the disc. And frankly, I don't plan to after that viewing. Okay. <laughs> I I would I would rather have a prostate exam then watch it again <laughs> oh wow okay All right. because it's literally that much of a pain in my ass nice all Very right interesting ben Very interesting. final thoughts and planet score on onward onward is a wonderful film i i, I recommend it for anyone i think and it, and it helps that it's on you know it may be not considered for free but basically it is out there for free you can you can sign up for probably just a trial running of disney plus or you know you just sign up for a little while and you get all that stuff plus onward 
and it's a wonderful movie, and it, and it's you know obviously it was made to be in theaters, so it is of the quality of every other Pixar movie. It's not some direct. I mean, not that Disney Plus is like a lesser quality stuff, but like this movie is really well done. It's 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 up to if not surpasses the quality that we've seen before with Pixar, and it's just a really it's a fun time for everyone. I think everyone got out of it. it's very accessible to everyone. And as far as my thoughts, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I don't think it's my my favorite of Pixar movies. Like I said, there's several I haven't seen. Um, but out of the ones I have seen, you know, it's, it's maybe middle of the pack. You know, it's, it's, it's up there, maybe top five in regards to, like, how much I enjoyed this one. But like I said, the more I talk about it, the more I think about it. And as it happens with most of the time, Sometimes, occasionally, I'll talk about a movie on this podcast and I like it less than when I saw it. But uh, this is not that case. I I, I love it even more now that I've talked about it and we got to talk about how quite nearly flawless it is and how really clever and interesting the writing is, how well it uses the different elements, the fantasy elements as well as the real real world elements, and just an all-around, just a clever, fun hilarious movie with some great casting Tom Holland and Chris Pratt we talked a lot about him tonight but like they're brilliantly cast I think it helps that the fact that they've worked together before they seem like I don't know if they did this together in the studio or whatever but they seem like genuinely like good friends like they they seem like they really play play off each other well and they that's brilliant casting on their part and overall I mean I literally have nothing to complain about this movie is fantastic and one other thing this is the most real the most real scene ever in a Pixar movie is in this movie and it's the merging scene onto the interstate. Yeah. yeah. That that perfectly portrays the absolute terror it is of being in a car especially for the first time and merging onto a busy oh, interstate. Yeah. Nothing more real. It is freaking terrifying. <laughs> I've I've merged on the interstate now many many times. It's still terrifying, all right? That is yes. too real. It's it's not my favorite thing, but unfortunately, I drive a lot for work, and so I've gotten kind of used to it. But it's just it's not one of those things. Um, it's not it's not one of those things that you ever enjoy or or relish. So I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah. Oh, and by the way. Nine point five out of ten on my score. Dang, son, that is that is high, high praise. Uh, coming into this, coming into this film, I I kind of had it in like a, I would I would guess somewhere around the eight to eight point five range, because, like you, Jake, I I don't feel like I've seen it enough to be able to appreciate everything that it has. But I think given the synopsis that I just went through, you know, I had to type all of that out as I was watching it a second time. But there are some other things in there that I I forgot to mention, like some moments in there that I didn't even have in there. And one of them being another subtle piece of trivia that I only just realized because somebody texted me about it. Um, Officer Bronco, he's a centaur, right? He's he's half man and and half horse did you realize what kind of police vehicle he drives is it a ford bronco oh no it's a ford freaking bronco 
course it is. Of course Bronco it is. Bronco drives a Bronco. <laughs> and that's just the meta nature of this film. It's it's just it's 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 crazy, but it's fun and it's adventurous. It's got great family relationships. It's got great storytelling that that gives you a sense of being on a time crunch without beating you over the head with it too many times. I do feel like it was a little overdone in certain sequences like but again Ian is kind of that that typical teenager that is like super stressed out about stuff and so he's constantly checking his watch like okay i get it but a little too on the nose perhaps but that doesn't really take away from you know the the sense of adventure that you feel like you're going on and like we've said all evening the human nature of this film without actually having any humans in it you know, we, we, we've probably anthropomorphized these characters quite a bit, but none of them are actually humans. And so they did just a great job of bringing in the human element to something that doesn't have any actual people in it. And, you know, they've done that with feelings, with Inside Out, and they've done that with robots, with Wally. They've done that with with monsters. They've done that with... Uh, with cars, they've done that with insects, they've done that with toys. You know, Pixar just keeps finding ways to bring a human element to a, a fantastic story, and there was nothing short of fantastic in this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Is it in my top five Pixar movies of all time? I don't know. I don't think so. But I think that's more of a testament to the home runs that that Pixar keeps hitting and less of a testament to how stellar Onward was on such a deep level. And our friend Steven gave it an 8 out of 10. He said Toy Story 4 was an 8.5 for me and resonated more. I get that. I wasn't as big on Toy Story 4. Toy Story 4 was probably an 8 for me. I don't even remember what my planet score was for Toy Story 4. I know we gave it a planet score, and I can't even remember it. But I think for this one, it's going to be a, a 9.0. I was I was ready to give it an 8.5, and then hearing you guys' reactions to it and, and talking about it tonight and recognizing that you know if they didn't beat it over the head with the time stuff very much... And if they had made the musical score a little bit more pronounced, I, I, I love listening to musical scores and the music was there, but it felt almost like a, a, a filler musical score. I didn't really have any mm-hmm. themes or elements that I appreciated more than the others. So I wish that the music had been more pronounced and I wish they hadn't been beating it over the head with the time crunch quite as much. Or just giving them 48 hours instead of 24 so that they can have, like, a night with a campfire to swap stories over or something like that. Like, do do it. Give yourselves a little bit more time than just 24 hours. But, I mean, other than that, this movie is really, really fun and, in my opinion, has one of the best finishes, one of the best finales of any Pixar film. Yeah, absolutely. Um. You know, I'm actually I'm a, I'm a little at a loss for for what we let other people listen to, because I, I would 
I would think maybe the, the the interaction with the Manticore at the Manticore's tavern would be would be entertaining. Uh, I yeah. feel like uh, pretty much any sequence that happens inside Guinevere is pretty funny. Um, yeah. I would I I would think that the the sequence with the mom and the Manticore at the pawn shop would be pretty funny as well. Like, there's a lot of really good scenes in this movie, and I I can't really pick one. Do you guys have, like, a favorite scene that we should let folks listen to? I'm trying to think. It's hard. Yeah. It's a a little bit harder than than we were expecting to. Usually we talk about this before the movie, and I guess we didn't for whatever reason. So, you know what? (laughs) Usually... Why don't we just why don't we just uh let them we'll just surprise yes. them with something. We'll just we'll just we'll just pull something out of a hat and I I have my ways. I can pick mm-hmm. something and I can pick whatever we want and uh we'll we'll, we'll just see what happens. Or yeah. better still, what if the quote of the night came from this week's Clone Wars episode? There you Ooh, go. Maybe so. Maybe that's the tiebreaker. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's the way we do it. We tell everybody go watch all of Onward because it's so well written, and then we, <laughs> and then we pick a scene. Maybe maybe um, the conversation between Ahsoka, Obi Wan, and Anakin right before they all split up. Maybe so. And uh, by the way, Bob Chapek, Bob Iger, um, I expect to have our checks in the mail by the end of the week. Um, because we're doing all this advertising, <laughs> um, so uh, you know I would expect nothing less. We're making you a lot of money, so uh, yeah, get on it, Bob. Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll tweet y'all my Cash App handle, and you just pay us that way. <laughs> Let Bob Iger be the new Bill Pulte, am I right? <laughs> oh God. Oh. Uh, all right. Well. Yeah, I think I think we got a I good think, plan I think here. You want to execute Exec- it? Execute order. Execute order sixty-five. The quote of the night. Anakin, Rex, prepare all forces. We're jumping to hyperspace immediately. Yes, sir. Man, with me. So the attack on Mandalore was approved. No, it's Coruscant. Grievous has attacked the capital. What about the Chancellor? Shock T has been sent to protect him, but Master Windu has lost contact with her. Not to worry. Our fleet can be there within the hour. So that's it? You're going to abandon Bo-Katan and her people? Ahsoka, surely you understand. This is a pivotal moment in the Clone Wars. The heart of the Republic is under attack. I understand that, as usual, you're playing politics. This is why the people have lost faith in the Jedi. I had too, until I was reminded of what the Order means to people who truly need us. Right now, people on Coruscant need us. No, the Chancellor needs you. That's not fair. I'm not trying to be. I'll divide the 501st, make a new division under Ahsoka's command. Unfortunately, Ahsoka is no longer a part of the Grand Army of the Republic. We'll promote Rex to commander and have him lead the new division. Ahsoka can go with him as an advisor. What do you say? I accept. That is, if Obi-Wan agrees. 
very well. May the Force be with you. Uh, one other thing. I killed Maul once. Just to capture him. He doesn't seem to stay dead. Thanks for the support. As always. That's what friends are for. If you're gonna face Maul, you'll need these. Capture Maul. I'll take care of Grievous. With any luck, this will all be over soon. Master Kenobi always said there's no such thing as luck. Good thing I taught you otherwise. Anakin. Good luck. That was a pretty great quote of the night, wasn't it, guys? It was fantastic. Was the best quote of the night I've ever heard. <laughs> or the one that we haven't heard. Or that I haven't heard. Oh. Yeah, it totally wasn't totally wasn't just silenced there for a second and uh it'll be edited in later. For your listening okay. pleasure, for right okay. now it's not very for good. the record. I went back and actually listened to last week's episode. Because it was just jam packed with so much good stuff that I wanted to, I wanted to go back and and hear like some of the stuff that we were talking about, and like the edits that you do going into and out of the commercial break, and like the outro music that's playing underneath as we're talking about our Twitter handles and stuff, and like the editing and splicing you do for the quote of the nights and for like when we accidentally forget one of our hosts' top five lists. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. What an interesting example. It's I, I I have no idea what you're talking about. Completely hypothetical. That never happens. I mean, it's just a once in a lifetime. What if that were to possibly happen? Kind of thing. Doesn't actually happen. We're usually on top of things around here. But. I just I just got to give credit where it's due, man. You put in a hell of a lot of work to make it sound as excellent as possible, and you do that on a weekly basis. Yeah. So, you know, huge thanks and huge round of applause for the work that you put in, even after the live show is done. Like, you, you make me sound better than I really do. <laughs> no, I, I sincerely... I appreciate you noticing and, and thanking me for that because uh, genuinely, I enjoy that. That's my favorite part. I don't like the whole pedantic, I want to cut out this space and all this kind of stuff and, and lining everything up. I, I genuinely like have fun with like putting everything together and, you know, you know, fading in, in everything and, uh, you know, putting together the, like, picking out the intro music. And I really like how, how that one turned out. 
um, because I'm trying to do something different with each Clone Wars episode, so that one was a bit different from the first one. Um, but uh, yeah, I have a lot of fun with it. I'm glad people enjoy it. I'm glad uh, you got to listen to it. I'm glad you were you were brave enough yeah. to listen to your own voice. See, I've gotten used to it. I'm completely just I'm used to it now. I listen. I can listen to myself no matter what. In fact, there are occasions where I'm listening. To, I'm 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 on my editing usual weekly thing, and I'm editing the podcast, and I'll get to a point and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, wow, these guys are making really good points. This is this is really good podcast. Oh wait, I recognize those voices. <laughs> um, so uh, I kind of I I think my brain is kind of like finally pulled myself out of it. I can just like listen to it and not think about it. And think about it like, oh god, I how I sound so weird. This is stupid. Well, you 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 make us sound great. Yes, and, no, I do my and best. It's appreciated. There that. is one more segment that you're going to have to splice together before we call it a night, and that's everybody's favorite food segment. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening live, go ahead and get out your hashtags. Because it's time for another rousing edition of that favorite hashtag that we've all got here. It's story time on the IPC podcast as we bring you another edition of hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 Barbecue sauce. Barbecue sauce. Okay, guys, so as some of you know, I work for an ATM company. I'm a, I'm a service tech by day and a podcaster, radio slash sports enthusiast by night. And my day job usually keeps me in the Dallas area, but every now and again, I've got to go on a little road trip. We've got some ATM machines that are out in West Texas, out near Abilene. We've got some that are in far North Texas, right near the Oklahoma border in a town called Denison. And then there's one that's way up there by Arkansas uh, in a little town called Texarkana. And so there, there are just some days where we have to go way, way out east or way, way out west or way out north. Well, we started taking contracts for other companies, and this other company has about uh, 10-ish machines in a town called Wichita Falls, which is two hours, probably two and a half hours, northwest of the Dallas area. So it's a pretty decent drive. And by the time I got up there and got those machines taken care of, and right before it was time to come back into town, I started getting hungry. And I was like, you know what? I'm in a new part of the state. I am closer to uh, Oklahoma than I usually am. I'm going to see what kind of barbecue is around here. So I just did a quick Google search for best barbecue in Wichita Falls. And one of the highest rated ones was this place called Rib Crib. 
And apparently, after doing some research, it is a chain based out of Oklahoma that has reached its way into northernmost parts of Texas. Just barely. There's like two or three restaurants in Texas and a walloping, you know, 1520 of them in Oklahoma or something. Big, big chain in Oklahoma. Hardly any of them in Texas. So I'm like, okay, I really don't think I've had Oklahoma barbecue before. I'm going to give it a shot. See how it's similar. See how it's different. And the one thing I've learned after having what I got is that Oklahoma barbecue tends to care more about combinations of meats than it does about sauce. Usually when we're talking about Kansas City or Mississippi or Carolina-style barbecues, it has to do with something being vinegar-based, ketchup-based, mustard-based, you know, your kind of sauces. But apparently Oklahoma barbecue, from what I experienced here, tries to blend different meats and see which ones go well together. Because their their chef recommendations on the menu were all these different combinations, like pork and chicken, beef and chicken, uh, turkey and pork, like all these different plates that had combinations of meat. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. But then the one that I ended up getting was this thing called the Cribwich. Whoa. And the the Cribwich is a barbecue sandwich that is both diced brisket and sliced hot links. Whoa. Yeah. What now, that? It, it, interestingly, everything else is kind of a la carte. Usually when you get a, a, a meal plan like that, it comes with like two sides and maybe a drink or something like that. But everything was kind of compartmentalized. So I had to get like my beans over here, my coleslaw over here. And I decided, you know what? As long as I'm here, I'm going to get dinner too. So I picked myself up this thing called the Super Spud, which is a loaded baked potato with your choice of meat on top of it. Wow. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it was that that was actually pretty decent. But the the sandwich unfortunately was drier than I would have preferred. And that goes uh. back to them preferring combinations of meat over sauce. I didn't even get a small cup of sauce on the side to put on my barbecue. And I get that from just about every other barbecue joint in the state. Every other place I've gone to always has a little extra sauce in a little foam or plastic cup on the side. Yeah, same. Did not get that with the rib crib. And that was one thing that I would knock on it is I I need that sauce to kind of enhance the experience. Because when I finally got home and I realized how dry the brisket was, I was like, all right, this brisket baked potato isn't going to be as good as I thought it was because the brisket's so dry. So what I did was I took some of the barbecue sauce that I had at home and I drenched it. Nice. I drenched it in the sauce that I had at home and it made it so much better. So, so much better. So overall, it was a fun experiment going to the rib crib and trying their crib, witch. 
but I may just stick to the hot links if I ever go there again because that was honestly the best part of the meal. The hot links had a little bit of a kick to them. They had some good flavor. They were cooked well. I I would probably stick to their hot links before I go back to their brisket unless I have to order the sauce on the side because, like I said, everything was a la carte. If the sauce costs extra, I'm out. I'm just saying. The sauce is an accessory, not something you purchase. And if that's the reason I didn't get a free cup of sauce is because they charge you for it, then I'm officially done with this place. Oh. Yeah. 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 So some, some, some of the um, some places are really, really great. They're like a, a little diamond in the rough. But this place was more rough than diamond, unfortunately. <laughs> it's funny. That's something I've never really thought about or heard about because, like, a lot, a lot of places do have their own unique styles of barbecue. You have, you know, Carolinas, obviously Texas, um, and, and various other states kind of have their own versions of thing, Memphis style. Um, but I've never heard anything about Oklahoma. Now, it's a place that I actually... I've been to all 49 states in the continental United States, but Oklahoma is the one that I like. I was like a little kid, and my family just like went over the state line and like, okay, you've been to Oklahoma, let's go. Yeah. So we just left. So I haven't actually been to Oklahoma or into Oklahoma. So I have no idea what it looks like or whatever. Um, I'm assuming it looks like a lot of other states, but, you know, whatever. Um but, you know, no offense to Oklahoma, but I, I just haven't really thought about them or, or really thought about, you know, what kind of food there or what kind of barbecue is there. So that's interesting that you brought that up that, uh, you know, they kind of have their own unique style of stuff. And I've heard of rib crib. I've, in fact, I I may have even eaten a rib crib at some point. I don't remember, though. I, I know I've seen one in the flesh at some point, but uh, I'm not familiar with their whole style. But that's that's interesting. That's uh not all good, unfortunately, but still interesting. Yeah, it, that, that's a good way to put it. It was an interesting experience. And I took a lunch break at a local park just down the street because the dining room was closed. Just popped open my tailgate and kicked my legs over the edge, watched an episode of Community on my phone. Uh, I tend to do that when I'm having meals is I'll watch like a, a sitcom that's like 20 to 25 minutes so that I know when I need to be done with my meal by. And then I move on. So uh-huh. I just I just was sitting outside in the clear blue skies next to a, an empty park because um, of the quarantine and just got to take in the sights and sounds of the town for a little bit while having lunch. And that was probably the the best part of it all. That's cool. That's really cool. It was it was it was a, it was a fun day. I, I was still done with my day before five. So. Any day that I'm I'm done with work before a traditional nine to five is finished, I'll count it as a win. That's always good, always awesome. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I thought this was a pretty awesome episode too. Heck but, yeah! This was a phenomenal episode. We had some phenomenal things to talk about, and it's a phenomenal company because uh, good to have three of us back on the pod, and uh, we're still live. You know, there's a lot happening in the world, but we're still live, we're still we're kicking, still, we're still podcasting. So I call that a win. We're still here. You can't get rid of it. I'm not dead yet. You will be. But in the meantime, before uh, things die down for the evening, a reminder to go find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at IPC Podcast. 
Listen to previous episodes available wherever you can get a podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the Podbean app, ipcpodcast.podbean.com, and on the website of our partners, the Star Wars Underworld, by finding us at starwarsunderworld.com. Ben, do you feel like there will be some sort of Clone Wars mention that happens on the SWU this week. Like, I feel like you kind of have to at least make note of it in some capacity. Yeah, we we might we might uh, mention it a time or two. We might have we might have uh, in the last episode, you know, devoted like half the show to to, to uh, going over a entire trailer that was released <laughs> recently, and uh, and uh, of course we have a entire podcast completely devoted to the Clone Wars called The Clone Wars Strikes Back um, and we're going to be recording that very very soon um, and we're going to have an interesting I believe Eric Struthers that's, that's your exclusive Eric Struthers will be the guest for this week talking about a uh, f- f- old friends uh, remembered and uh, that should be a lot of fun and uh, real quick there's a couple things I keep forgetting to mention on this show and it's not just Star Wars <coughs> Normal Podcast of course StarWarsUnderworld.com is where you can find all the latest Star Wars news, all the Star Wars Underworld podcasts, which I work on a lot. And also, I have a new venture here I, I, that mm. I need to mention. Culture Slate is a new site that is being headed up by our good friend Chris Siegel and a bunch of other people, and yours truly. I have uh, joined the team over there, and it's not just Star Wars. It's all kinds of you know stuff and there's a, there's a new team of writers coming in to do all kinds of things so there's going to be news from pretty much anything you want um from uh, fandom wise Star Wars Star Trek everything and uh we've got some work on social media and I've been doing a little bit of that too so you can find them at culture slate on social media go follow them over there cuz there's a lot, a lot of cool things that are happening that I'm really excited to share with you guys and uh, that's been a lot of fun to work on and also also, one other thing before we sign off is the fact that um, I I may or may not have gone to change.org while we were talking and started a petition for a certain something. <laughs> I, if somebody wants to sign it, I mean, I'm not usually a proponent of, of petitions, but it's there if you want it. If you want that Siege of Mandalore movie in theaters later this year, uh, yeah, go I need a link, son. Send me that link. We'll put it up. It's in the chat, right? No, it's not. Where'd it go? Okay, here. No, I lost it. It'll be in the chat in a second, and then uh, yeah, I'll link it. I'll link it in the in the in the in the episode description for you guys in case there's like two people that want to do that. Well, I mean, what's interesting is given the fact that the title card says something like a Lucasfilm production, and then it plays the Star Wars music instead of the Clone Wars music, I I can't help yeah. but wonder if that is their intent is to turn it into a feature length film. And that's how it's going to open. Wow. I, I, I think it's set up perfectly. I think you just chop off the, the credits on each episode and stick them together. <clears throat> I you think got a you movie. could. I think you yeah. could. Uh, Jake, where can the folks at home keep up with you between this episode and the next? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Damon or on Instagram at Jake W. Damon. And uh, you can find pictures of me on there where I look much less tired than I feel right now. 
we're keeping them out late, guys. It, it's bad. Oh, it's all good. I love being on the show, guys. I'm sorry I missed last week, but I am very happy that I got to be on this week. Always a pleasure. We'll, 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 we'll let you okay. slide this time. Next time, Ooh. maybe not so much. Oh, yeah, Jake. I mean, Ben's being a little bit harsher on you than, than I was, Jake. I've been yeah. Like, Always a pleasure having you on. He's like, we'll forgive you this time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, somebody has to be a jerk around here. It may as well be. Your me. status here on the podcast is uh, coming to an end soon. If you've ever met Ben Hart, that statement is completely ironic. <laughs> like, if you've ever spent any time with that man in real life having him say if somebody's going to be the jerk of this group it's going to be me like that is antithetical to ben hart so the the irony is not lost on me there dude but if y'all want to keep up with what's going on in my life just find uh zach the voice on facebook and twitter and zach dot the voice on instagram uh, I do still have the Zach underscore DFW Twitter account. It's not as active as it used to be, but a lot of the stuff that I'm doing now is at Z-A-C-H, the voice, or Zach dot the voice. I'm kind of in your boat, Jake, where there's somebody on Instagram that's got the name that I want. I've got the branding on Facebook and Twitter, but I don't have it on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I just I kind of had to compromise. I was like, okay. I, I really don't want to have to, like, write this dude and see what happens. I'm just going to do the next best thing. So I just did – I put a little period in there, and that one wasn't taken. So I'm like, okay, whatever. But, yeah, um, I just got news that the high school football team that I did broadcasting for this past fall has signed a new contract with the Texas Rangers – and they're going to be playing their football games at Globe Life Park, which recently got renovated for football purposes. And so as of, I want to say, 2021, I think I think the current contract expires in 2020. As of 2021, that football team is going to be playing their home games in a professional stadium. Wow. That's, that's that's pretty cool. I'm hoping to see uh, nice. doing stuff for them by then. And uh, you'll be able to hear me do radio broadcasts from a professional venue. So that's awesome. That's a cool thing to think about on the horizon. Very far out on the horizon, but still exciting news. And I've been talking about that and been talking about the Clone Wars, obviously. So, uh, yeah, go follow me there. And I almost forgot. I haven't posted this on social media but I actually dug through my closet and found my IPC uh, hoodie today. And it feels really warm and snuggly, actually. A lot more comfortable than I remember it being. And I might have to wear it more often now. But it's just a, a gray heather hoodie that's exactly my size. And it's got the logo slapped right across the middle of it for all to see. With, uh, with Jake's clever design on it, actually. You're the one that drew up this logo. And now now it's on apparel, which is cool. So if y'all are interested in getting some IPC swag, you can do that at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. About 20% of what you spend goes right back to us. So if you don't want to be like a regular patron, just go find some stickers or a T-shirt or a hoodie over at teepublic, tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. We've got our primary logo on there, our secondary logo, 
and a special barbecue watch logo all available there. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. You can get notebooks, you can get throw pillows, you can get T-shirts. I think one of those things, you can actually get a onesie for your baby. So Jake, start planning now, bud. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what's really interesting? We usually close out the evening by doing a uh, fortune cookie from the Clone Wars. But this week, there was no fortune cookie, was there? Oh, my goodness. You're right. Uh Oh. Where where do we get our fortune cookies I, I now? I don't know, man. We're just gonna have to use the ones that have already been given to us, or something. I I really don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of at a loss. Apparently, the last one that we did that wasn't from the new arcs was fortune cookie number one hundred and three. So I'm just gonna read off the one from a hundred and four tonight and go with it. But I really don't know what that means for the the course of this um this arc but i will ask you this do either of you recall fortune cookies uh, or a fortune cookie playing at the beginning of the clone wars movie no because it was a long time ago in a galaxy that's what i thought so -hmm. if there was no fortune cookie during the clone wars movie and there's no fortune cookie at the beginning of this episode I think that further affirms the theory that they may turn this into a full movie by the end of it. Oh my goodness. There you go. More evidence. Because More the, evidence. The Sign only, my petition. The only other uh, uh, part of the Clone Wars to do that was the movie. So if those are the only instances, and this is like the only exception to the rule... I, I think there may be a correlation there. Who knows? I'm on board. I'm on board. We're in the same... We're, we're, you and me? I subscribe to this theory. We stan it. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> Don't be one of those. <laughs> uh, Jake has had it. Jake has absolutely had it. He's been in the Twitter stand, wars. Stand. He cannot take it. <laughs> I don't know who you are, Stan, but I don't you stand stan- you. Oh, you don't know the story behind that. I I don't, and I'm okay not knowing it. Okay, fine. No, I'm just kidding. You can tell me. Give me a history on Stan. I, I only know a very brief history of it, that which I found from Urban Dictionary. But apparently there was a super fan of a music performer, I forget which one, and his name was Stan. And he was he was oh like super all in on this particular this uh, particular person. Uh, let me let me see. A crazed or obsessed fan. The term comes from the song "Stan" by Eminem. Oh. Apparently, Eminem had a a super fan by the name of Stan, and it's used to describe a fan who goes to great lengths to obsess over a celebrity. Oh, see that makes sense. So when when you're when you're obsessed, when you're a hundred percent committed, totally on board to some with something, you stan it. Okay. See that little bit of context made it less terrible. But uh, I still hate it. It's still not the best. <laughs> nah, still dumb. Still dumb. Maybe we need to start a change posi- uh, petition to get rid of standing. <laughs> I stand against stands. <laughs> Time. 
I am a anti stand stand. Well, it's time. <laughs> now I. It's fa- time to I make like a stand and just say that we're done for the night. <laughs> Guys, we are twenty episodes away from our three hundredth edition of the IPC podcast. Wow. We've been around for that long, apparently. Mm-hmm. You people, and I've been there since episode one, baby. Oh, yeah, no, you I... sure have, Jake. <laughs> He's just been listening. He's been listening. He was in the background. He was in the Skype calls. He was just well. Listening hey, he was he... actually on certain episodes that I couldn't make way back in year one. So, I mean, you're he's, right. he's been you're around right. for, for quite a bit. And we're excited to have you on more full-time, Jake. And we're excited for what lies ahead. We're going to have our sixth anniversary this year. And we're going to have our 300th episode sometime this year. All that and more still to come. But it's not going to come tonight. I'm going to go ahead and call it. Episode 280 is now officially in the books. For Jake Damon and Ben Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you'll tune in next week. But until that time comes around, we're just going to leave you with this closing thought. Morality separates heroes from villains. We hope to see all you stands next week here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. You're the soul who understands The scars and made me who I am Through the drifting sands of time I got your back and you got mine If you bear a heavy load I'll be your wheels, I'll be the road I'll see us through the thick and thin For love and loss until the end Cause you carry me with you From the highest of the peaks to the darkness
also what the hell jake what did you do that thing i am traumatized for life i thought it was amazing okay guys for those in your chat really quick really quick i have to explain this with you in the chat okay so there's a comic that jake put in in our in our group chat and it's a woman on the ground saying you saved my kids, and it's a guy with a cape floating out of a burning building with two kids tucked under his arms. And the guy says, um, and then the next panel zooms in on his shirt, and it says, CRM, Corpse Retrieval Man. Ah. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> no! I feel dirty after re- reading that. <laughs> I sent that to my brother-in-law, and he said, well, at least she has a choice of whether she wants them cremated or not. (laughs) (laughs) No! No. No. That's not silver lining to take away from this! No, 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 no. God, God. See, this is my type of humor. (laughs) Apparently. Oh, man. Oh, oh, oh no, 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 no.